Yeah, I was I was listening to some Wagner in the drive-through. <laughs> That's true. Oh, it's a drive-through Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, you know, every day I, I have my little errand. I go and get uh, uh, iced coffee from my mom. Right. At, right. at the drive-through on Concord Ave, Cambridge, and huh. um, I've been reading this book called Love in the Western World because I came across it in a used bookstore and it had a very effusive blurb by none other than our friend John Updike. So I bought it. <laughs> yeah, friend of the pod. Yeah, friend of the pod, my daddy. I sent him a T-shirt actually. Yeah, I bet he yeah, I sent him a galley coffee. <laughs> yeah, he actually faffed onto it in his grave. <laughs> um, yeah, it was true. And this writer talks a lot about the myth of Tristan and Isolde. Oh, okay. And Wagner. And I thought it's sort of odd that I haven't interacted with the corpus of a major anti-Semite of our time. Mm. And also like Nietzsche is always going on. Everyone was sort of, he kind of rocked the world, Wagner. Yeah, people were... People were yeah. on. That was, a, that was a crazy time. I it mean, really was a crazy time. You know, after the French Revolution, everyone was just like, what the fuck? And then there was like a second French Revolution. And they're like, this is really improper. Uh, uh, yeah. What's going on? That's my understanding of the historical time. It's just, I always lost track of that. I think I, I learned about every French Revolution and every aftermath of every French Revolution, like six times between high school and college. And I still get it the chronology fucked up i mean i know the main event of the you know the terror robespierre uh, right. know, the guillotine the grand mm-hmm. and then it kind of gets confusing anyway there's actually a guillotine image in this passage so i'm glad you there is yeah he talks about how he oh, had a childhood shit. fantasy of oh. driving a car in which two oh, stop yes. were sticking out on either side I, I actually have a big theory about his childhood fantasies um i, I and, loved his childhood fantasies but we should wait to talk about those with uh with Ray yeah and... i took some voluminous notes probably all of which i'll forget to talk about in That's the course okay. of i'll our... make sure you don't end up talking about them anyway um, I, was, I thought i should listen yeah. to wagner so i was listening right. to, i started listening okay. to wagner in the drive-thru but then i got bored and i switched to neil young <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that always the story? I got bored. Which Neil Young? Which Neil Young? Barstool Blues uh, okay. of of Zuma, but then I listened to that like three times. I don't know why the drive through was like super slow today. So yeah. I, I listened to Barstool Blues. It's sort of a short burst of a song, and then I switched to um, Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere. Yeah, and I realized that I I listened to that actually a few days before. I, we first got to Grinnell. I don't know. I was thinking about no the, hours, the hour struggle myth. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if we bonded over Neil Young as well. Because I was also into Neil Young. I think it time. was mostly a Smiths thing. Yeah. Although I Neil Young, I remember learning Neil Young songs on guitar a few days after I lost my no, virginity. No, we did talk about we did talk about it. Because remember, there was one night, it was really early at our time there, where we walked into Main Lounge and Dylan Naylor. Oh, that's and, the um, mythical moment. Yeah. And what's her name? Noelle. They were playing... Uh, after the Gold Rush. After but the Gold Rush, yeah. It, and she was playing After the Gold Rush on French... She was on French horn. He was on piano. I think it's even crazier yeah. than that. We were talking about Neil Young, perhaps even after the Gold yes. Rush itself, in I the elevator. Could, yeah. I think that could be what happened, yeah. The the yeah. the hot box elevator of Maine, <laughs> and as as we emerged from that elevator, we heard, we were graced with the sounds of the French horn solo. Yeah, yeah that was yeah that was a sign of something. That was like that was mythical. I've been that thinking a lot mythical, about yeah. myth 
I'm yeah. trying to think about mm-hmm. myth. Well, Va- Wagner, I'm sure. Is Wagner, exactly. Yeah. So I was trying to apply some mythical analysis to today's scripture. Well, I also am kind of a Wagner scholar because I really? would watch the um, I would watch the Bugs Bunny uh, Ride of the Valkyries with my kids. Um, oh. pretty, like pretty much every day. We had a phase where we just. And by the time, by like a month in, we could almost sing the entire thing together on our walk home. It was actually pretty cool. Gotta Mate raise some wabbit, good. Kill the rabbit, kill the rabbit, kill the rabbit. That's actually about yeah. killing the Jew, I think. Well, yeah. 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 Um, hold on. We, I, told, I told Bob we would talk about this on the podcast. So let's. So for the record, this is our, our listener. Bob from the North Country's rendition of the Bowie tune. Can you hear it? Yeah. What did you say? What always fits you? I got beer bag. Okay, that's good. The drop that's of a beer bag. That's such a shame. I love this part. You learn guitar. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh. Boys Boys keep struggling. He's got a very agile voice, actually. You have a great voice. It's very, yeah, it's very robust and strong. He also seems pretty on pitch. Yeah, he's he's got authority. He's got an authoritative voice. Yeah. I love this part. What is this called? A riff, right? The blues. A bluesy yeah, riff, yeah. yeah. When you're a boy, boys, boys, boys keep struggling. Boys keep struggling. Work it out. Boom. Wait, I feel like you said uncage the fathers at some point. Didn't he say uh, uncage uh, the fathers at one point? I think he did. I mean, I would I feel like I remember hearing that the first time I listened makes to it. Sense. I like that line a lot, uncage the colors in the original Bowie version, which in my own rendition, I didn't get to because I was too lazy to move to the. Yeah, I think well, Bob's version was better, to be honest. Than my own? <laughs> it pro- I mean, it was more, uh, it had more musical authority. Yeah, perhaps, definitely but... more musical authority. Yours had, yours had vibes. It had you know mood mine, it has. mine was meant as like a send-off yeah. moment of the it's a, episode yeah no though, yours was so. more of outro Bob's is more of like a standalone um piece which he whipped up in i think like an hour because he tweeted us yeah i'm gonna make a boys keep i know he put more work know, yeah good than i did um yeah although i do like doing those little musical mementos you know you know i love those those I little covers it's a nice Although shadow I, project. I feel like I'm falling into uh, too much of a trend where I, as you said, I make I make them usually into like dirges. You do like your dirges. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong I'm with like, that. It's a nice Norwegian dirge. 
Um, but anyway, if you want to send us um, like my struggle theme parody songs, you can send those to our email or our voicemail, which is, I still haven't memorized it. I'll put it in the notes, but uh, we, we'd love to hear it. I, for some reason, I have a really, really, really low bar for parody songs. I don't know why that type of humor just gets me. You're into so like good. Weird Al Yankovic? <laughs> yeah, like something like that. I never knew. People think we're these like erudite hip no, people. No, it's I like... have the dumbest sense of humor, but only when it comes to parody songs. I don't know I like why. For some reason, songs. if you take a known song and put different words over it, it just makes me laugh. I don't, I think, I think it must run deep with me too, because one of the earliest like VHS, this is, you know, because I'm one million years old to yeah. listening to this. One of the earliest VHSs of me is of me doing a parody song. Okay. I'm doing, I'm like four years old and I'm doing you know how in Aristocats they're like everybody, everybody wants to be a cat. So Maybe. in my version, it's everybody, everybody wants to be a dog. That's that's <laughs> a good, good right? parody. It's, me. it's a great parody. Um, oh yeah, I keep trying to plug these t-shirts. <laughs> oh my god. Um, I just like okay. Here's the thing. I this shit is artisanal as hell. Okay, I good. I print out the shipping labels on my coomer in my office i attach them to my purple mailers okay i fold the t-shirts myself i put them in the bag i write a handwritten post-it note to every single customer okay and i personalize that shit i have on occasion had to look up the names of local sports teams to have something to say yeah what do you say to people i said you should just say mom i just riff (laughs) maybe i'll do that it's the terse enigmatic um, word uh, yeah, if I recognize them from Twitter, I'll like say something about that. But if it's someone I just have no idea who they are, I just look at their address and I'm like, oh, Calgary, huh? Um, put- they have poutine up there, huh? You know, stuff like that. I do Montreal. really like, pers- well, you know what I mean? It's like, I do really are like, you know, they're from Florida. I'm like, oh, go Gators. Uh, or I think that's their mascot down there. I really, I do my best to personalize these notes. Um they're handwritten, so you will get a little bit of my DNA if you're trying to, I don't know, clone me or maybe you suspect me of a murder. Uh, maybe you want to, you know, forge my signature on a check, steal my copious. Maybe you want to smear her DNA over your flesh. Yeah, maybe you want to do that. Some people are into that. Yeah, you, you're you supplicated to us, Rosie. Mm-hmm. You're a, a huge, Supplicate. a huge Kanausgard fan, uh, <laughs> which was a little surprising because I don't really think of women as being big Kanausgard fans. But more and more are coming out of the woodwork. You know, like our Australian pecan influencer friend. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, some other people. As in nuts. Yeah, As in like nuts. she's a pecan influencer, which is a little triggering to us. Um, which, to her credit, she did like walk back a little bit because at first she was going to invite us to her pecan farm, and we were like, "No, thank you." Um, please don't in Australia. That again, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's funny because her Instagram is all like 
very beautiful, tasteful shots of like lifestyle pecan farm content, like, you know, like mason jars and like lights and I don't know, shrubbery or, and then she just posted about us and all these, there were all these people in her, in the comments of that post that were just very politely confused. We're basically just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, I wonder what's going on underneath the surface of that whole like Instagram life. If she's like, spending all these hours listening to our deranged show, I I just don't get it. Uh, Layer, yeah. there's layers to everyone. There's, there's layers, layers to, to everyone, everyone, including pecan. Do pecans have farmers? shells? Is it like is it she, like? Well, under... I think her husband is a pecan farmer, and maybe she does the marketing. Promotion. I don't know. Let us let us know, Annabelle. I mean, just DM me on Instagram. I'm, I'm sure she'll listen to this. So. Annabelle seems cool. I mean, it's cool to yeah. hear. About. I mean, I, why do you think that women are not Canals Guard fans? Uh, because it's like a tiresome novel by an extraordinarily tiresome man. <laughs> I don't think he's tiresome. Now I'm now I'm tr- I'm triggered actually because yeah. I do not find <laughs> Carluva to be. No, I mean tiresome I mean, like, in I, quotes. I don't find him that way. But I think like it's very easy to level the critique that oh, this is a male genius writer who's simply obsessed with himself and can't stop writing about it um and i think it transcends that but i think on the surface you know well and there there is something to the critique that like all the female characters in the books are just kind of only like only there in relation to how they fit into carluva's thoughts about them and they sort of just have they pass by except for you know, really important ones like Linda or Mom. Yeah. Um, but that kind of goes for all of the characters, right? Because it's about- well, because it's about his, his life, yeah. It's about his life. I mean, it's literally just him writing yeah. down like what it feels like to be him. Yeah. And like what he thinks about. So, and I think, I mean, like, I think that he is able to write really sensitively about women. I mean, like the Linda birth scene, mm-hmm. which yeah. you guys have read, right? Because- we have read. Yeah, we read. actually we have, have read too. that. We actually have <laughs> okay. Yeah. How is the reading going? Like, what book are you? Um, what book are you guys on now? Oh, still, still we, not. Past I think two. we are actually are still <laughs> where we began in a sense because when we yeah. began the show, I'd read the first two books. Yeah. Lauren had read, I think, one and a half, and yeah, that's about as far as I've got. I did start yeah. um, book three, kind of half-heartedly. Uh, oh, mostly, shit. I, I didn't checked know that. it out of the library as a prop for my photo shoot. Oh. um but i read like yeah 10 pages of it i mean at this point i almost don't really want to spend any more time with kenar's i know it's like i, I already like spend so much time with you. I've, like, i'm immersed so intensely yeah. in in this book and then we had to work backwards too so now i've I've also essentially read all of book one again yeah yeah and right. like and and at a granular like talmudic level because we're like doing it like scripture yeah. every week now mm-hmm. Um, that the thought of continuing on with this, I don't, I, yeah, I don't find that the tone uh, of the book tiresome or, or narcissistic, but just the, just I'm just like saying the, it would be very, yeah. very easy to level that critique. No, and I like, know. Especially a lot of like people, a lot of people have. Coming out. Yeah. Well, and especially yeah. just coming out in 2014, 2013, 2014, which was probably like the height of like internet Jezebel feminism. So I think like at that time there was. A lot of like, oh, we don't have time for this man's, you know, man thoughts. Um, and now, yeah, I mean, it's it's an inherently yeah. self-centered project, like literally, yeah. you know. Yeah. And that's, but he's not he's not trying to pretend otherwise. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, that's what I like about um, it. He's just like, 
he also doesn't seem to think it's like he couldn't care less whether you're interested in it or not. Like, I don't think he even thinks his own life is interesting. This is a point I keep trying to make on the podcast, and I don't know if it comes off, but I really don't think he thinks his own life is fascinating or has any inherent value. He just has this like almost an like animalistic diuretic need to put it on the page. Whether or not it has any redeeming value is almost like um, irrelevant for him. Yeah, I, I mean, he doesn't really do anything They exciting. find their own lives fascinating. They think, oh, yeah, this is important because it's happening to me, uh, which is, I think, is an important Well, that's actually an interesting point to bring up because actually, I think well, a little before our pages, our official pages for today, he does um, discuss how he feels as though he's in some sort of like romantic, mythical Yeah, state. some grand story about the um, son's In a grand father, story. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and, and then, then I actually think that- dissipates. It dissipates, I and I think like, yeah. even in, in many ways, this whole book, but specifically this section, like, traces um, the kind of uh, what, or sort of deflation or transformation from his, like, a romantic, romantic, mythical attitude to this, like, sort of d seemingly dull or specific one. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it happens in, like, the blink of an eye. It's yeah. like, he goes from being, like, this is the story of the two brothers to bury, going to bury their father or whatever. And then two seconds later, like Ingva starts driving. He's like, oh no, it was just me and Ingva. And, like it was actually dad. Yeah. Not it's like a father. It's funny because another writer would like, you know, patiently dramatize that transition for like pages or a whole fucking book. Oh yeah, book. Canal's going to say, nope. It just, ha it's just de it's deflated in yeah. a few paragraphs. Although I think actually there are traces of the same uh, phenomenon in the, even in the later pages, but yeah. I thought I thought the absolute most haunting moment in this uh, passage was where he they're driving through Kristansand and he totally in passing is like, we went by this place, we went by this place, we went by the suburb where Hana lived. Uh -huh. And like only a hundred pages before, Hana took up his entire field of vision. Like this was his entire fucking life. And now she's receded into this like speck. Like she doesn't even have her own claws. Like it's really remarkable and kind of creepy uh, how that how effective that is. Well, yeah, and I also think that's why that's part of his genius for like reflecting how thoughts actually flow and feel like. Like if you were in his position passing by and this place reminded you of a certain person, you wouldn't have like an entire internal disquisition about everything this person meant to you. You would just be like, oh, that's where Hannah lived. Yeah. You know, and so he, re he it, it really does... Like, I think it was, you know, James Wood, you guys' favorite, who um, mm -hmm. said- Friend of the show. Friend, yeah, friend of the pod. <laughs> I, hope, I hope he'll come on. Yeah, um, <laughs> seems unlikely. I, I think it was him that was like, in his piece that I think introduced a lot of people to Knausgaard that where he was like, it's what life feels like, mm -hmm. you know? And it just reflects. And I think that that's, that's a good example of that. Or like in these pages also, there was another moment that I had totally forgotten about that is kind of, Where's my copy in passing and like he like sees his old teacher yes mm. that was so creepy yeah <laughs> and the guy seems perfectly normal but he's like there was a sharpness to him that seemed evil to me yeah, yeah. Or something. Like, I was like, evil yeah, <laughs> yeah. and he, and he like, never expounds casual. on those things yeah yeah it's like evil really yeah like... no he just drops those descriptions i love it yeah yeah, yeah it was an odd right. yeah. yeah i was struck by that word sharp too because there's some, yeah. I mean, I'm always intrigued by the seeming flatness, I think, which I've called like, or we've called undifferentiated sort of noticing or taking, or yeah, what's the word, like an undifferentiated inventory of detail and people, which is especially 
on evidence, I think here, although I guess we could question like what's sort of like mediating some of the noticing. Um, but that word sharp was odd because it's it's strange that like that mem that this teacher was somehow had more shape somehow. I don't know. And then there's also the dead boy too. That was yeah, yeah. Kietel or I'm I'm I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm yeah. I, I think that's a fair guess. Which even there, what he remembers too is was playing madnesses or how remember this on the stereo on the school bus and Kietzel who was next to me was yeah. laughing at how fast the vocalist sang yeah which I mean again that's like that's like an oddly specific one could say sharp memory although it's not it's certainly not it, it's not um you know laced with death necessarily it is sort of seemingly random um, well I also the, like I mean, the other detail to... oh please go ahead Oh no, sorry. I was just saying, like the other detail is more late about Kettle is more laced with death, which is uh -huh. that Karlova has his driving book. Right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's really still creepy. like as an yeah. adult. Um, yeah, and that he died in a because he fell asleep at the wheel. Right. Uh, that almost seems like oh. too too novelistic, but yeah, it is weird that like some yeah. of these details do seem highly novelistic and shaped, and then the yeah. others seem. So it was like to just appear as if at random. Like I what uh, you know, I guess in many ways everything he notices here is mediated by the dad's death, but then there's weird. I just thought it was funny that Kettle was also a baker. Like what percent of his childhood acquaintances <laughs> were in Patisili? <laughs> like Jan Vider? Like, is this a really common track? For I don't know, that's such a good Norwegian youth. Like, do you yeah. get pushed into a bakery yeah. track? I don't like like what percent of Norwegians work as bakers, I guess is like or they seem a little overrepresented in this. You when uh, you guys go to Norway, you need to find out. Yeah, oh, we will, and we will. Um yeah. although of course I am gluten free, but I feel like oh, oh really? Yeah, yeah, I am. Um have I never revealed that on the podcast? I, think you've I guess I should it. come out. Yeah. Um it's it completely involuntary. <laughs> I have celiac disease, so I cannot tolerate it uh, I would eat gluten if I could it's not some kind of grandstanding statement I simply have a host of related minor autoimmune disorders that make me not able to eat gluten so I'm sorry to hear that it's brave of yeah. you I'm, I was this. just thinking how brave I was actually I don't know if you guys could hear the quaver in my voice as I no <laughs> as I, I, I was I was moved I was moved <laughs> yeah I'm really sorry you had to read about bake not one but two bakers <laughs> I know. Yeah, I mean, really as dramatic. if like bakeries aren't laced enough with death already for me. Like, there had to be a tragic accident. It was a little... Well, maybe you can try a. I'm sure Norway has. Yeah. I feel like Scandinavia must be full of like you know. Yeah. Gluten free, this and that. I feel like it must. Apparently, be they're really there. into candy. They're really into okay. like. Hmm. in sweden especially uh, apparently oh they're into mm -hmm. licorice because i've i've purchased some uh salted licorice have you ever tried mm -hmm. that it's quite odd i don't like licorice oh i love licorice but salted licorice is totally different it's like has this like chemical tang to it sounds terrible hmm. it's cool it's not like up my alley um licorice <laughs> sounds okay on its own yeah. In addition to salt, I'm not sure. I mean, my mom has always set claims that licorice um, helps with constipation. I have no oh, idea oh, if okay. that's real. Yeah. So uh, there's licorice poison. You can poison yourself if you eat too much of it and have like a heart attack. Oh. How much would you have to eat to do that? Just out of curiosity. Not, not that much, actually. Like 
more than might be considered normal in terms of intake, but it's not like a massive quantity. Um, so, what a way to go. I know. Well, yeah. 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 That's not a good, like, I, that's not a good way to die. Yeah. Definitely not a good way. If I go to Norway, though, I might binge on licorice. And <laughs> no, that's why I, I just take your my, chances. Yeah, yeah. I just take, <laughs> take my licorice <laughs> chances. and just, It's going to be death laced licorice. Yeah. Um, Lauren, did your anxiety diarrhea oh. from the Joshua Cohen incident clear up? <laughs> I was hoping you'd bring that up. <laughs> Thank you so much for asking. Um, yes, everything is solid now. Uh, very regular. Uh, I do, I said this on Twitter, I do think there is, I can't establish causation, but I will say there was a very strong correlation between me being on methylprednisone due to my radiculopathy and the diarrhea. In fact, you might even say as soon as I stopped the methylprednisone, my diarrhea stopped. However, I'm going to choose to continue to attribute it to a uh, post-Cohen stress disorder. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what methylprednisone is, but I uh, can imagine that the Joshua Cohen thing is just as legitimate of yeah. an instigating factor. So, because yeah, it did seem so. stressful. It did seem yeah. so somewhat stressful. <laughs> it was, um, yeah. It's that episode, I feel like it's still being litigated to this day. It's been a month now and I still I know, get messages from people. Is still buzzing. Yeah. <laughs> people are, it's almost, it is kind of touching almost how many people are like really upset on my behalf. Uh, I'm, I'm personally not. I mean, I thought it was a great episode, but uh, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy friction. I enjoy difficult people sometimes because you don't want this to be too easy. You know, it's nice to. Yeah, I thought you did a good job with him. Attention. Yeah. One like, one li one you know. listener even faulted me for not intervening on your oh, behalf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some listeners are kind of sh chivalrous. Uh, what do they think this is? Like, yeah. we enjoy caustic we, discourse. Yeah, you know. I Although mean, lately we've been pretty. A little soft. goes a long way, but uh, no, I think it was. I think it was a good episode. And uh, who's going to be your next caustic guest? You need yeah, to get somebody know. who hates Knausgaard, right? Like you need I to know. get somebody. That would who... be the natural next step. It's hard. Yeah, I'm. I don't know anyone who's as what was your word, Drew, acidulous as uh, <laughs> as Cohen. But we're you know we're going to New York, so maybe we'll scout out some more just morbidly uh, Jewish novelists <laughs> who have <laughs> intense be disdain for you'll, everything. I bet you'll be, you'll be able to track. There, there aren't every corner in New York, Lauren. Everyone's I would, a, I would, an yeah, acid I mean, that's most of the population of, of New York, right? I mean, that's my understanding. Um, um, you guys are yeah. you're, you guys are coming to the Big Apple. I saw um, that you were seeking some audio equipment. I yes, won't be able to help. Unfortunately, actually, no. And I appreciate that, but um, we ha have landed. I believe we we have the eagle has landed. So what do you nice. mean? <laughs> we found. You mean you found equipment? Yeah, one of our oh. one of our oldest and most loyal listeners, uh, who is incidentally named Gunnar, uh, his roommate has equipment, so I guess I'll go out to Queens and pick it up from him. Oh, that's a mythic yeah. quest. I know. I love, <laughs> but it's you no. Know, it's good to have a quest when you're in the big city. Oh, I love a fucking quest. Yeah, yeah, it's good to have a quest. Um, yeah, I would make you go on the quest with me, except you're getting in a few hours after me, so I'll probably just do the quest by myself. That's cool. Yeah, um, have. just to Queens doesn't sound too. I think you, you'll be okay going alone. Probably you might not need. You group. think you? <laughs> you think yeah. you'll make it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Queens yeah. is kind of out there. It's... It is. Yeah. 
aren't you moving here, Drew? Or I right? am. In, I'm indeed moving there. Yeah. Nice. Very shortly. Yeah, that's my yeah. quest. But uh, yeah, exciting stuff. Is exciting. Ha- is happening in the world of our struggle. Yeah, you guys are. Um, it's there's a there's the, the wind is at your back for sure, <laughs> with Norway with becoming you know with Norway like, calling us Norway yeah. influencers. Yeah, yeah. It would yeah, seem that funny. way. I mean, I started this like as a complete joke, like totally. <laughs> I like, just still, a total I don't, I don't understand the phenomenon. I don't know <laughs> what's going on. I, I actually don't even believe anybody really yeah. listens to our show. Yeah. I I truly it's beyond my comprehension. I don't get it. I, I I mean, as longtime listener and fan, yeah. Um, yeah, tell us. Like, yeah, I can tell you. Well, I think it's just like if you're into Knausgaard. I mean, we were talking about this, Lauren. There's like a burning need, yeah, to, like talk about him. But yeah. there's a few people who like want to yes. talk about him, you yeah. know, like at length. And yeah. so it right. satisfies that for people who are interested in the books. You know, like, I don't really have, I have, like, one friend who is as into these books as I yeah. am. Um, actually, you should have her on. She's, her name's Kelsey McKinney. She lives in D.C. She's, her first novel is out, and it's really oh, good. Oh, so yeah, yeah, I know her from Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Huge Karluva fan. Um, yeah. So she's, like, we text each other about it. Yeah. Um, I love that. And, but, like, there's not, because you kind of have to read these books to, like, exp- to, like, know, you have to, like, really read them in order to, like, understand the effect that it has like you can't really read like a snippet no and, like, have yeah an opinion, you know yes exactly yes the essence lies in the length but that that's as may be but then there's the fact that neither of us has really read a lot of Kinazgard. we well, spent a lot of the time like <laughs> ranting about golden doodles or talking to joshua cohen who really has not much to say about Kinazgard. you talk about mm-hmm. lauren's diarrhea and gluten yeah. intolerance so if people mm-hmm. say that they come to us for like a parasocial relationship based on the Kanazgard books, that I still don't understand that claim. I mean, you know, there's pleasure in digression. Yeah, that's the whole shtick. Yeah, people have just market it as a general. You could just it could be a yeah. general interest pod. Yeah, I mean, at some point we'll start to we'll forget what the original purpose of this podcast was. <laughs> you know <laughs> that's actually that would yeah. be it that would be the sign of its ultimate success if we oh, actually yeah. have no yeah. recollection someone brings was... him up and we're like oh who who is that <laughs> his dad struggle, died? you say he cleaned out a house <laughs> okay <laughs> no it'll be like how in waiting for Godot, like they've forgotten why they're there yeah exactly like yeah. exactly i will say yeah. lauren as you dive into book three like book three is where i i had my like only moment of i might not make it through um, <laughs> because it's like all about his childhood and it's yeah. just like it's just a little bit like and then you know and there's some like troubling dad stuff I don't remember yeah. a lot of the details there's a famous like kids shitting in the woods okay right. that's the I iconic like that. moment yeah, yeah. um but it's a little that. bit of a slog but then things oh. pick up yeah I'm okay. excited that that's a good teaser I can't wait to get that to that shit in the woods <laughs> I've been hearing about that for years. I have it checked out of the library and the library just keeps extending my uh, (laughs) time with it automatically. So (laughs) eventually, if no one else wants to check it out, I'll be (laughs) able to read it. Uh, But it could be a year. So depending on how much interest in reading Knausgaard there is in D.C. or specifically this part of D.C., I may just hold on to this 
to Boyhood Island for a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've got, I actually have it. I've got them. I stacked them all around me just to like, you know, to have his essence. Yeah. Near. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like, is this him? Is this child him? Oh, shit. It can't be, right? That is not him. No. I kind of, but like, every other is picture him. is him. <laughs> yes, like this is yeah, him. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. Hmm. This is him. You know, like, good. did they just, they couldn't find a childhood photo of actual well, him? It's just a bit hmm. strange to me. Who is that boy? I want well, to know. Well, if you're listening, like, who is this child? Let us know who that child <laughs> is. If it is Carl Louvre, I would like to know. We can get him on yeah. the show. I want to get that model on the show <laughs> yeah. to talk about that experience of being <laughs> the face of boyhood Kanazgard. The face of trauma yet to come. Yeah. Yeah. You never know it's gonna happen. You don't know yeah. what's gonna happen to your dad yet. <laughs> Little son. do you know, Sunny boy. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna poor have a tiny, tough... poor small Carlova. They he had a tough childhood. He did. Yeah. Well, there's some good stuff about about uh about boy Carlova in this. Actually, it's kind of like a very potted version of of book three. You might say. Are you? Because he kind of very succinctly goes through his memories with dad. Uh, mostly the early the morning part where. Yeah, the early morning fishing, the forced early morning fishing expeditions. That's so evocative, don't you think? Yeah, like they're yeah. like it's you know the the wind whipping it and he's cold and he hates it and like dad's like getting too angry and yelling at him. But like, there's this poignant element because it's it's dad trying to connect with him weirdly, but he just yeah. can't do it. Yeah, because he's so messed yeah. up. Like, um, and but you know, and obviously like it it complicates his feelings about dad because Ingva, it's easy for Ingva to just like hate him. Yeah. yeah. But Karluva feels guilty. It's funny. There's like a purity in the hatred uh, that his brother feels, but Karlova doesn't have that. But um, just like of all the father-son bonding activities, like you think you could choose something a little less intense, like maybe just toss around a football or something like six in the morning fishing expeditions in Norway just seems so fucking miserable. It's completely I mean, I dark. certainly it's wouldn't cold. want to do it. It's wet. You know, Carl Uva is crying. Well, that's how you teach. He cries it's so like... much. She cries so much, though. It's like, sort of like a, a, it's like a ritual of, you know, of like making your boy into a man. Like, yeah, take, take I guess into so. the woods, into the cold. I don't know, because I, I don't have, didn't have, don't have a father. Yeah. I don't know how to fish. If I, the one time I tried fishing, it got all like, bunched up and confused and yeah. i had to actually have an old an old man on on in a harbor help me untangle it yeah detangle it so i don't know about fishing or fathers but it seems to me like it's one of these rituals i mean it's almost a parody of like it we're is going yeah. out. we're going out fishing, a, boy. Yeah, forest father son be up at the ass crack of john i'll give you a beer <laughs> in the car and the car over yeah no i mean it's very strange because it's like was dad why did dad need so much fish too mm. like well yeah he was That's a teacher a like he wasn't yeah. a fisherman like who fishes every single day if it's not their job but it's you Is know i think that he thing? like literally know. didn't know how to connect yeah with his kids apart from like creating these like set piece bonding yeah. moments yeah that like weren't satisfying on either side you know it's really i mean it's yeah, really sad. sad i mean like the stuff really about that just like really yeah. is heartrending to me yeah actually this passage is quite heavy like yeah trying to find this sort of dark comedy here but something i didn't realize about dad and mom until i read the beginning of book three is that they were super super young when they got married and had the kids i wonder if that contributed to a lot of it they felt like they settled down too young and never got to live their own lives i mean mom was 19 
Oh she shit. Had Ingva, yeah. Dad was 23 maybe. Uh I, I, think, I think that, that definitely plays a role in yeah. dad's yeah, like dad's like huge midlife crisis where yes, he like I mean, weirdly that was just decides to, to become an alcoholic. Yeah. 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 Um, which is crazy which is like never it's another one of those like mysteries that hangs over the book you know like why did dad just like one day to the next like decide to start falling apart yeah it's almost an intentional decision yeah it's so odd because it's not usually how we think of like alcoholism you know as some like for almost like medical force that you can't control is like is often how it's figured but here it does seem as though the dad like you know had like this agency to decide to say like oh and now i'm gonna drink myself into the grave i mean obviously it kind of snowballs beyond that but i think that that's actually one i mean that's something that i love about these books is that there are these like little mysteries that are throughout that he never really explains but that's also in keeping with how that would feel if it was your own life like you never might have an answer to that you know like you could analyze it but you're never going to really know like it's not like and and this is where like the novelistic impulse like bumps up against like the sort of memoir structure is like he could just like make up stuff about sure. why it happened. Right. Yeah. Um and he does make uh, he's admitted to I mean admitted isn't even the right word because like he's a novelist, but like he's yeah. said that he has like made up details if he didn't remember them and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Um but like, you know, I think that it's just like part of this project is like trying to understand what happened to his dad you know, like, and not trying to say, like, are you applying sunscreen? Oh, no, this is um, lidocaine for my uh, <laughs> cervical radiculopathy. <laughs> okay. It's like roll-on, yeah. Got it. Yeah, Yeah, that is true. Um, Even You're right, there is a sort of, like, gap here, too, because it's as though Carl Ove and his brother... They, when they discover the decrepit state his dad's in, they do seem shocked and surprised. Like they, there's been some gap here um, that w- during which they haven't been tracing. Well, isn't it the last time actions. they hear of him? A friend has seen him on a bench, and he looks like quote a bit of a rascal unquote. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was such an odd translation. <laughs> um, <laughs> bit of a rascal. Yeah, imagine saying him. that. You're, oh, we saw. I saw your dad. He looked like a bit of a rascal. <laughs> he we talk about euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I see a horrifically alcoholic person, I'll say, "Bit of." It sounds like a, a little a kid, rascal. like making yeah. mischief. Like yeah. your dad's a real Such rascal. Such a cute description. Yeah, it's probably some translation thing where, like, the yeah. Norwegian word is like more specific or like has yeah. a meaning that doesn't quite translate. But probably. Um. But no. But that's. I mean, that's another moment where it's like you kind of see this. Like, there's like a whole story in that you know, that, like, we don't get to actually experience. And there's a whole story in, like, in dad and grandma. Yes. You know, their mutual decline that we only sort of, like, see the aftermath, right? Like, he gets there and you have to piece together, like, what probably happened, but you'll never know. Yeah, it's all, in some ways, it's all the more. I mean, a lot of drinking and pissing. Yeah, and just throwing the piss-soaked stuff. Yeah, yep. Vomiting, shitting. Squalid (laughs) shitting on the floor. I mean, that actually is, like, quite disturbing um it's, it's, it's abject I mean, like, I mean it's the it's, definition it's of abject. so abject yeah, yeah. Abject. it's so abject yeah. yeah um no I mean it's like it's really it's it's super it's super shocking um and you can feel their shock 
like when they arrive and yeah Karluva keeps like crying and being like Ingva it's a shithole like Ingva it's so <laughs> fucked up in there <laughs> and Ingva's just like okay yes we're gonna clean it up yeah and just like holding everything together yeah it's oh, a, this is where some of the almost like the blank registration of detail almost does take on a weird dramatic power too because it seems to kind of embody the this kind of like shocked um you know almost blank noticing of horrible details yeah 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 the understatement kind of sells yeah it. the understatement you I really suppose. you really don't need anything more than just registering the shit on the floor the shit on right. the floor needs no florid explication yeah because it's not actually remain. like it's not yeah. like sensually described no <laughs> you know what i mean like it's just it's just simply like yes. stated and yes. yeah um noted uh and it's all the more horrible yeah. for that reason well yeah and i think and i i i think that like that 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 flattening of of narrative and description and he's just like saying that i saw this i saw this this looked like this looked like this um when it gets to when grandma's on the scene and he's describing like how she is and her actions mm -hmm. i think it's even more chilling with yes. that because mm -hmm. he just kind of is reporting what right. she's saying and doing and what she's saying and doing is like you know obviously something terrible has happened to her right yeah and you you just you you know that like from the jump the way that she's behaving yeah um, but there is kind the, of suspense and like or i don't know horror novel aspect to it and that you know something awful has happened but it doesn't really hit until maybe 50 pages later that oh grandma was also an alcoholic right um yeah i mean there, there's a kind of page turny suspense horror aspect to this section I think. Yeah, I mean, for sure, it's it's it is suspenseful because you know that you're gonna find out something. I mean, the the mystery of like how the dad actually died. Like, um, I think it's you know later uh, that it turns out that like it's possible that she might have like discovered him at night and like didn't tell anyone till the morning or something like that. Like, right, this really yeah. macabre stuff happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's never established how exactly, like, what the ultimate, you know, the final cause. Uh, of death was right um is yeah. even the implication that grandma could have saved him if she had like called 911 or something but then she just was too checked out i don't know i forget the details exactly but yeah. it's it's some it's it's either something like that or it's just like the fact of like she might have known that he was dead in there for like yeah a long time you know yeah um, yeah and creepy. which is like creepy yeah um yeah i mean like it it, it when you get to because like this part basically after this part there's like a long like the, the really long cleaning right section yes. yeah um yep. and that goes on for a while and you know and they're trying to figure out what to do with grandma and but then like eventually yeah when you get to that scene where they drink with her yeah that, i was thinking yeah. about that haunting sort of moment such a haunting scene i think that's like one of the most haunting scenes in the book honestly because that is odd i was thinking about that scene now because i was thinking of how seemingly it is that they decide to almost become like complicit in that destruction in that moment when they when they drink with her and i, I remember carlo i think Vey it's merciful is though disturbed. It's i merciful, think they're I think. I think it's merciful i don't know what do you think rosie I mean, I think it's both actually, mm. like yeah. not to, you know, be too equivocal, but like, I do yeah. think that, and they struggle with that. They're like- Oh, we equivocate yeah, they, all the time on here. Don't worry about it. We have a, we're pro-equivocation. It's a pro-equivocation. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm relieved. I feel yeah. safe here. 
yeah yeah um no but they they struggle with that they're like you know she needed it like she like obviously wanted to be drinking um but they feel like it's wrong obviously but yeah. that and of course like they're what what they're drinking also is like such it's like I think it was like Sprite and vodka or like yeah. when you drink it like in a college yeah. dorm room it's like yeah. not like you want to be drinking with your grandmother yeah you um, think they could have gotten a little like, classier but... right but that's what it was around I mean like you know apparently the dad was just like drinking like bottom shelf vodka and stuff but then yeah, yeah. they um they and she immediately like perks up you yeah. know and does her like hold on my roommate work needs to okay <laughs> okay oh no worries hold on i do have cash what, what is she talking she's talking about she's i guess she's giving money to her roommate oh cool yeah what are you in a basement I'm in a basement. Yeah, I'm in my I'm in my mother's basement. That's where I've been for this past few episodes because uh, I'm here before I go to New York. So, yeah, I'm in this the finished basement as we cool. discussed on the yeah. Oh yeah, I remember the discussion of the finished. Yeah, actually, Carl finished versus it. unfinished, etc. <laughs> yeah, that whole tiresome. Talk about a tiresome business. <laughs> what were you going to say about Karlova and basements? He. He writes about an unfinished, oh, sorry, no, unfinished house. But he says at the beginning of this section, he's talking about his childhood fantasy of the flood. I'm obsessed with that. Wait, can we read that part? Yeah, let's get into it. I love it. that part. What page I is that? I love it. In my book, it it's 268. 273. Oh, well, I don't know. Wait, really? Oh, yeah, it's 273. And oh, wait, but I'm in Kindle, so it doesn't matter. I thought my, I thought Kindle was the same, though. Kindle. He well anyway, he's right he says you know they're entering some um I don't know wooded area, I guess, on the way the to the Sorland forest. Yeah. When I was a boy, I used to imagine the sea rising and filling the forests so that the hilltops became islets you could sail between and on which you could bathe. Of all my childhood fantasies, this was the one that captivated me most. The thought that everything was covered by water had me spellbound. The thought that you could swim where now you were walking, swim over bus shelters and roofs, perhaps dive down and glide through a door, up a staircase, into a living room, or just through a forest with its slopes, cliffs, cairns, and ancient trees. At a certain point in childhood, my most exciting game was building dams and streams, watching the water swell and cover the marsh, the roots, the grass, the rocks, the beaten earth path beside the stream. It was hypnotic. Not to mention the cellar we found in an unfinished house filled with shiny black water we sailed on in two styrofoam boxes when we were around five years old. Hypnotic. The same applied to winter when we skated along frozen streams in which grass, sticks, twigs, and small plants stood upright in the translucent ice beneath us. What had been the great attraction? Oh. <laughs> question mark. And what had happened to it? Question mark. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's just magical. Yeah. I mean, it's also it a- just so accurate about children. <laughs> you know, I say oh, from yeah, my professional some standpoint. Weird, like, yeah. Floor is lava type. Yeah. Yes. Kids are obsessed about- with that. Yeah. Yeah. Anything um, that's not where it's supposed in- to be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But he's, yeah. and he's, you guys have pointed this out before in your podcast, I think, like, anytime that, like, an outside thing is in, or an inside yes. thing is out, oh, right. it, like, yeah, bothers yeah. him, and he remarks yeah. on it. Yes. Yeah, he does have that childish sensitivity to where everything is supposed to be, 
but it seems like when he's an adult, it bothers him more. And when he's a child, it kind of is more enchanting. But I also did wonder if this, yeah, yeah this did feel like an, an enchanting fantasy, deluvian fantasy. But also I was wondering if this is like uh, a kind of part of like the mythical world that he's sort of gradually or perhaps suddenly leaving in these pages. Like he's in this mythical childhood flood uh, in his his childhood life, but now he's entering this, a kind of flatter uh, reality. You know, it's like everything is smaller than you remembered it when you go back to your childhood home or your childhood city. You know, Chris Dunsan seems totally just devoid of meaning yeah and this i mean this fantasy is itself hypnotic and he repeats the word hypnotic and and even like the word spellbound but then i actually thought too like um you know we talked about this maybe in a in a negative way with with josh cohen about how um maybe a kind of what self-based writing seemingly narcissistic writing could be narcotic or therapeutic but I actually thought even like formally, like some of the blankness of the of the writing that uh, we detect in this book, like itself becomes hypnotic. Yeah. Like that, like, like that itemizing impulse is is hypnotic. But so even like, but that hypnosis is not, it's not like the mythical or, or like enchanted childhood um, uh, fantasy. It's like this hypnosis of this itemized reality. If we mm-hmm. could call it yeah. that, I'm not sure, but it's weird. But like, it's it, maybe it's just a different form of hypnosis. But sometimes it does feel as though you're entering a hypnotic, like trance-like space as you read these books. I agree with the trance, yeah. And I also don't think um, there's anything wrong with entering a trance. But, no, uh, uh, no. You know, but some I guess, people would disagree, but yeah. I don't but know. I just think what like the trance that these that these books enact is not actually in tone. This uh, similar to the childish flood fantasy. I mean, that's what's weird. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Oh, over. okay. Hmm. Um, it's also true that later, towards the end of this section, he actually does um, say that he he feels as though he's in a swamp. Hmm. Um, I don't know if well, you know, there are seafaring people, the Nords. I think yeah. water metaphors come very easily to them. My understanding. Well, I mean, on the topic of the sort of like trance like hypnotic yeah quality to this I mean I yeah I mean I I that is I think one of like the 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 really unique things about his writing but he definitely like he knows how to control that like it isn't just completely formless like he will put you in that state and then come out with something so weird (laughs) that you're just like what and that happens in this too because right after yeah. the island fantasy he's like another <laughs> fantasy i had at that time <laughs> was that there were two enormous saw blades sticking yeah. out oh, from yeah. the side of the car chopping off everything as we drove past trees and street lamps houses and outhouses but also people and animals <laughs> if someone was waiting for a bus they would be sliced through the middle their top half falling like a felled tree leaving feet and waist standing and the wound bleeding i could still identify with that feeling <laughs> i love him <laughs> i know i love him so much it's like what like that's and not he treats it in exactly the same way as the flood fantasy so he's because... like oh i also had this other one where as everyone's getting I... guillotined i was reading this and like trying to find a sort of pattern and i and I, you know i thought i'd found one okay like this like enchantment hypnosis flood yeah. and then 
memory and they think wait is this dude actually just giving us every association <laughs> i mean i suppose it's something controlling like okay it's just another childhood fantasy yeah but... <laughs> yeah i don't think i ever had a childhood fantasy about chopping people in half did you guys um <laughs> i think i had a fantasy about poking the the blue sky with a stick and then the black like starry night would come pouring through he also says i could still identify with that feeling so it's still alive in him <laughs> i know and then that he just totally drops that on you and then <laughs> no elaboration yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, like what you haven't had the fantasy as an adult about guillotining people <laughs> as you <laughs> drive by it's like big things <laughs> coming out of your car that just like, yeah yeah I mean, it's kind of satisfying to think about. Um, there's actually a, there's a scene in Three Body Problem, the famous Chinese science fiction novel, uh, wherein they string these like invisible threads or like super sharp threads across the Panama Canal. Mm -hmm. And when the ship sails through it, it slices everybody in half. Wow. <laughs> you know why they have to do this to everyone on the ship? But it's very like, uh, yeah, I just remember that. I don't know. Maybe this is something a lot of fantasy, a lot of writers have. I should read that. I have a copy of it. Yeah. I've been like meaning to read yeah. it. Is it, what, what, what were your thoughts on it? Oh, I mean, it's brilliant. Like the, the writing, I don't, I'm not a sci-fi person at all, but I do love a good, I like a good conceit. And if it's a really good conceit, I'm willing to put up with pretty mediocre writing. Um, and that's, you know, it's mediocre writing. I don't think Liu Cixin has ever pretended to be anything other than a fairly mediocre writer, but the ideas are like kind of mind blowing. Um, and the images are fantastic. Um, I mean, really creative stuff. That's a, that's an our struggle recommendation actually. Yeah. Oh yeah. You guys should like do a whole, you should do like a newsletter of like our struggle yeah. racks and that's how you become a lifestyle podcast because yeah, be, like, that oh, might be a good avenue of monetization actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because we're really, these t-shirts are, let me tell you, not, I think I've only just broken even. That shit is That's good. Much worse, That's better than not capital. breaking even. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I might even get into the green or the black. Is it the black when you make a profit? I mean, this is, just shows how bad of a businesswoman I am. Yes, but, and it's in the uh, red when, you, when you're behind. Yes, right? so I think, okay. yeah, I think I might get into the black in the next, uh, out of the blue and into the black. Neil Young. We're there back to Neil you Young. Go. Hey, hey, that's our lifestyle I brand. That's, a, I, that's right. That's one of your lifestyle racks. I guess yeah. it is true that we have a kind of like our own little culture and our like system of illusions and references. Yeah. But, but I kind we of haven't, don't want to monetize that or like systematize yet. it at all. I kind of just want it to remain in co-it. And that way yeah. you have to do the work of like listening to like the four hour episodes. Yeah. And like, you know, getting in the weeds of our yeah. world, so to speak. Yeah, because the everything, floods. I don't want to distill it. Everything is pre-distilled now. Or not, it's distilled and crystallized for consumption. So you can just snort it. And, you know, it's like ground into a powder and then you snort it, you know, lifestyle. Although so it would be fun to try to make a distilled, abridged version of um, my struggle. Like we could make our, <laughs> the hour struggle, outline, my yeah. struggle. Yeah, like okay. <laughs> a one yeah. book abridgment. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, hey. Um. Yeah. I think that letting jokes on the podcast just be jokes on the podcast is like best practices probably. Yeah. Right. But um 
yeah but i mean like you could i mean like others might you know put certain characters on t-shirts or whatever james wood came to mind oh james (laughs) Um, wood shirt (laughs) i do kind of want to draw a caricature of james wood now he has a good face yeah i feel like uh, that might be his visage may not be kosher though for selling i don't know he looks like a roman senator yeah are you allowed to well no you must be able to yeah if it's it's your your own rendering if it's it's not a photo of him i mean also how many people on the street would identify (laughs) james wood on a t-shirt maybe in in these parts in cambridge (laughs) i actually i drove by his house like a half hour ago before we started did you see him uh no i always keep an eye out but i i didn't see him but i what if i what if i like you know post up at his residence wearing a mm-hmm. shirt with his visage. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> I think you should and try then it. holding my copy of my struggle. Yeah. I think you would really like that. Just like I think this. He deep. would love that. Yeah. Think, and here's the thing about the shirt. It shouldn't say that it's James Wood anywhere. No right. context. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. a rendering of James Wood. Um, so that could be your next product. But I mean, like, as far as t-shirts, I mean, you know, there's so many more iconic meals coming yeah, in the rest of the books once you get there so there's like a lot of fodder oh yeah the jamie oliver lobster lobster uh what is it he makes for new year's eve from jamie oliver's cookbook lobster with garlic saute yeah or something, something yeah. like that it's so yeah. cute that he likes it's just it's super so cute adorable. that he does jamie oliver so like, i mean it was the um, mid-aughts like everyone that was kind of the peak of jamie oliver i feel like uh, I have actually used a couple Jamie Oliver yeah. recipes and they were solid. Like, oh yeah, I mean, he's yeah. nothing wrong with them. Nothing wrong. Yeah. Um, there's a prawn scene in one yes. of the later books uh, where he makes a bunch of prawns for dinner yeah. with Linda and um, Gare. Is it Gare? It must be. I think it's Gare. And it's uh, Gare's Gare. wife. Yeah. Um, by prawns, I am pretty sure that it's we're meant to think shrimp, shrimp because i think it's like british it's a britishism but he no but in book one it's translated as shrimp because remember he eats the shrimp in front of the tv right. when dad goes away to oh, the yeah, seminar right yeah. so maybe it is prawns like, yeah, so prawns, prawns are, big, are aren't just they? big shrimp yeah okay aren't they just no, but big... the thing is british people call any shrimp prawns. oh any shrimp is prawns so british people yes. have no fucking idea what a shrimp is i guess not yeah i don't know whether they say okay. small prawn <laughs> oh you mean a small prawn do they yeah. have a jumbo prawn <laughs> yeah i don't know like a crayfish or whatever i don't know i don't think they know about that i'll have yeah. to I'll, I'll have to investigate this further i know that like i've read an interview with the translator oh. or like i read an article about the translation and like because sometimes he'll he'll use like britishisms and then i other feel like times... it's mostly britishisms yeah right but then other times i mean he says soccer yeah. instead of football for example oh does he really so, yeah. Oh, shit. And, of, and of course, he calls her mom and not mum. Mum, yeah. So um, they kind of blended it. Okay. It's not it's really little... jarring to me at all. I don't, I can't, I can't even say I've noticed it, but it seems natural. I don't know. It seems overwhelmed by the Norwegian, even in English. You think so? What do you mean? Well, I mean, there's like so many actual Norwegian, mm-hmm. like place names and names that. I almost don't think of the book as being in English, weirdly, which I suppose is a sign of its success, I guess, in a translation. Yeah. Like, or it doesn't even seem like it's in any, I guess, I was going to say it doesn't seem like it's in any language. <laughs> um, but it, it just seems like this weird Norwegian English blend almost. Of, yeah. 
I mean, I just, I'm still, I'm so, I'm shocked. Even like just a cosmopolitan, like of just how many fucking Norwegian, you know, like these massive place names are just, you know, uh, hit you as you read. Well, because Germanic place names, they're all literally like the place where the rock is next to the tree, <laughs> but like translated, you know, like they don't. Yeah, it's like Rock it. Island or yeah. like that's what they translate Christian to Hill or whatever. Yeah. yeah, the place where the uh, Saint Mary walked over the water, but it's like it'll be like Mary. <laughs> you know. Yeah, the next move is for you guys to just like learn a little Norwegian. I know. Yeah, I want to get a little Norwegian under the belts. Yeah. Didn't like one of your guests claim that he speaks it? Oh, Ben claims that he, Moser claims that he can read Norwegian. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but a lot but, of people claim to like read yeah. certain languages. I mean, and... look, the, he's an accomplished gentleman philologist. I have no reason to doubt Pulitzer him. Pulitzer Prize. But he Pulitzer, Pulitzer Prize, Prize winning. Prize. Not Pulitzer forget. Prize winning. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe. I don't Yeah. Know. Show us what you're made of, Ben. Send me a translation if you hear this. <laughs> Oh, he needs um, to model his shirt. I think it already made it over to him in Rotterdam. Or where is that dude? Lives. He's um moved to his like really it's fancy in Antwerp? row house. Hey, maybe it's Antwerp. It's some city in the Netherlands. Yeah. Like, do they speak Flemish? What's going on with Flemish? No, I think they speak Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> Flemish kind of is Dutch. Yeah. Much, though, like they, I think it's like a dial. I. I, I'm probably wrong. I think it's like a dialect of Dutch, but uh, they're basically Dutch. Yeah. But then there's also like Walloon French. It's just odd to me that there's this That's place just the French-speaking Belgians. That. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, it's French and Walloon. It's not just. It's not just Dutch. It's not just. French. No, it's just odd that there's a place where the Dutch and French like mingle. I don't know why. It seems like it. Seems like they should be se- separate. Have a Kanaz Guardian react to that. <laughs> Oh yeah, he would hate that. He would hate the idea of Belgium. I don't. I don't like when my French and my Dutch. No one like Knausgard know about Belgium. We cannot let him know about this. He will have a huge meltdown. He would have a conniption fit if he knew that the (laughs) and that like French speakers and Dutch speakers were just like right next to each other, intermingling on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's two language families. I guess that's the issue that are meeting. Yeah, that's what's yeah, so odd. It's the Germanic and the Romantic, uh, and the Romance. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like he feels positively towards Switzerland, though. I don't know why oh. I think that. I just kind of feel like he does. Well, yeah, but maybe talk- he doesn't. Maybe Switzerland is more neatly segregated. I don't. What are their like? Like they German, have, Italian, they have French, French, and they have an Italian-speaking yeah. section as yeah, well. Right don't they have there. something like their own a language called Romance or something that's yeah. like vaguely Ooh. like latin or something like that i love that yeah it's a i think it's a it's a romance language that is like spoken in some rural areas but i don't know much about it Hmm. um but i don't think it's like a significant portion of the population or anything but it's not like the you know the the dissonance of belgium yeah yeah it's not the french speakers (laughs) at at loggerheads at loggerheads yeah at variable loggerheads yeah yeah um (laughs) I've got, you know what, maybe he has written about Belgium. I, so I ordered his, um, his essay collection. Oh, uh, yeah. And the land of the psyops. Yeah. Yeah. The, the psyops. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, um, and I kind of like, I agree. Like, it's not his best. It's, I don't think he's at his, like, I've only, and I've only like really read the title essay and stuff, but 
what I was mostly surprised by was that it's printed on this like thick, glossy, like coffee table book paper. Weird. Mm-hmm. Like a huge book. Like you can't really tell, but look how stiff. Yeah. That is wait. Shiny, yeah. Why did they do glossy that? Table. Like I don't know. It's very. I've to never make seen it more expensive. Hmm. I guess. Yeah. I mean, it looks very luxurious, but it's also okay. like yeah, <laughs> odd. But that those are my only thoughts about his essay collection. Okay. But more more soon hopefully that's good we should have more reviews of like the um you know the materials on which books are printed like I'm really a big fan of how Times Arrow by Martin Anus is in pretty big font and the pages you know there's not too much text on each page probably because it was already such a short book to read yeah I mean I think that's why I can read it without we don't need to get into all of my ophthalmological problems here but I can read it just wearing my glasses without my scleral lenses in and that's pretty impressive um so, yeah, I've been I've been enjoying my printing of of Time Zero. Even enjoying your printing? I've been in, yeah. <laughs> what's the what's the what's the entente? I don't understand. So I don't know. You're printing. No, there's no entente. Uh, I, I thought you were. It sounded just, like you were trying to pick up on an entente. No, no. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I already well, I already did the entente on Twitter, yes, and I don't know how many people got it, which was very upsetting. Penetrating. I was penetrating. Yeah. Yeah. Because I didn't want to say I'm oh, I'm finally penetrating Martin Anus because that's too obvious. And so I made it a little more subtle and I said, Oh, I'm finally penetrating the the picture of Time Zero by Martin Anus. But um I feel like a lot of people just saw them. They're like, Oh, I like that book. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> have you guys read his um Martin Amos's memoir by any chance? Which one? Well, it's it's called Experience. Yeah, I love Experience. Like, experience is a fantastic okay. book. Yes, but like, don't you think it's such a weird book because half of it is about his teeth? Oh yeah, there are a lot like, of it's teeth. A, in it's that book. literally like, like I was shocked to find that it was like mostly about his teeth, his like severe dental problems. Yeah, yeah, I forgot very- about oh, I love orthodontia, and he's like always getting <laughs> yeah. surgeries. Oh wait, I yeah. want to read about that. I love endless medical complications because that's that is literally my life. Okay, I'm gonna read that now. It's like oh, half shit. about his dad, which is like kind of why I wanted to read it because I'm like a Kinsley yeah. fan and I like yeah. was interested. I'm interested in that. Like I thought that'd be interesting. Yeah. But then it's like it's like he alternates between like memories of his father and like and then I had to go back to New York for my third like six tooth root canal. I'm upset. My teeth oh were my rotting God. out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I somehow blanked that out. Yeah, he. Yeah, it's also interesting reading him against uh, Kanazka because he's so, like, all of his details are so, like, distinct and seemingly intentional. And he almost seems like a weird in, in an inversion of the Kanazgardian method. But, yeah, there are a lot of, I forgot about all the surgeries, the dental operations. Wait, I love that. I love, I love reading about that kind of stuff. Oh, my, okay, yeah, I'm going to, that's going to be my next Martin Anus. So. <laughs> um, but Kanazgard, like, like, Amos was using that as like a device. Exactly, that's what I mean. It's like it becomes and a comic doesn't device. Doesn't do that with like right. anything. No, like he doesn't latch on to any no. symbols. He no just motifs. kind of lets things flow yeah. past him. No motifs here. Yeah, he's well, anti-motif. Like, like as you read, like I feel more compelled lately, like to construct my own like book of Kanazgar, like with my own sort of patterning and my own system of motifs. But I don't know. Maybe that's sort of like. A betrayal of the of Kanazgar's own impulse, whereas with yeah Martin Amos, you know, he almost has like a comic exaggerated sense of a, a motif. But I don't know. Like today, I felt kind of I was like as though I were betraying Kanazgar coming up with sort of like a pedantic theory about 
floods. Oh yeah, do you want to do you want to share that right now since you prepared balloons? No, no, notes? I, I honestly didn't really have a my oh, okay. my pedantic theory was just trying to like trace. I actually kind of hate this sort of reading too. I don't know why I was doing it. Like trace the the flood and the swamp. Mm, okay. But then also, I mean, he does was, like the Bible. It's yeah, gotta be that's gotta be in his brain somewhere. He's talking like about he still flood. has access to like a sort of mythical system, even if he doesn't know it, right? I, I mean, mean, I think he constructs his own mythology of his childhood um, that? throughout yeah. these books. Yeah, I mean, very like capital M mythology of like a boy in a sylvan glade in a fjord and these kind of haunting incidents. There, there's definitely a, a mythology there, yeah. This boy. That boy, that's the yeah, yeah. model on the cover. <laughs> Little did we know, it's all about that model. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. He does, he constructs, and, and that's part of why the books, like, work as well as they do. It's because he constructs this overarching mythology that you actually start to, like, buy into and believe in yeah. as much as he, as it's, like, it becomes almost as imp important to you and, like, your understanding of the text as it is to him. Like, you understand, like, how important dad, like, the the un, the importance of dad is like so paramount you know yeah. and like unquestioning and um but i mean in terms of like motifs i mean the thing is that he re you notice a lot of stuff being repeated but that's just because he does it a lot right like yeah he eats fish cakes a lot so it's like <laughs> he does yeah. that's something you notice R rizzles, or rizzoles. rizzles yeah rizzles just endless rizzles a lot of rizzles with grandma actually yeah See, in that's fact, never going to not be a degenerate alcoholic food for me. Like, if somebody serves that to me in Norway, I'll say, no, thank you. Um, that's what grandma eats when she drinks herself to death with dad. And they'll be like, oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, sorry, I was trying to serve you. You just assume yeah, that every Norwegian patty, yeah. is, like, totally fluent in the uh, myth of yeah. my struggles. Any detail just, like, glows for them with resonance of, like... Yeah, yeah, just is like a Proustian moment setting them exactly, yeah. back to when they read my yeah. struggle before. <laughs> um, the, which they which they did on mass, by the way. I mean, like it, they, I pretty I, much I think yeah. like some huge popular like percentage of the population there read the books. But yes. yeah. so that's what I'm saying. Maybe he does have a kind of like Homeric mythical power. Yeah, maybe or at least in Norway, or perhaps more than that, because his internal myth even shapeless and naive as it might seem has still kind of been appropriated by many readers perhaps yeah although yeah. i don't know how many people have actually read because there does seem to be now a bunch of people clamoring to come to talk to us about these books since they're they're on the island of you know they're sort of isolated they have no one to talk to so maybe maybe they were more island. maybe they were more like talked about than actually read. I don't I don't, but I, I don't know if that's true. Which seems to be like that's what it, like with Proust, you know, it's like a byword. People have a, a chain of associations. Maybe there's like a Proustian myth, but how many people have actually read any of it? Not to you know, or all of it. Like I've only read very little. But I mean, yeah, again, I think I yeah. like most people who. I guess I don't know that many people who have read all six books. Right. Um, we haven't. <laughs> I mean, I have to admit, I didn't make it through the Hitler section in the last oh. book. Um, I just was finding it, frankly, just too much of a slog. And so yeah. I was like, but I'd been told by my friend, Kyle, who's also a fan, 
that like the last 200 pages of the sixth book are like you know some of the best most thrilling stuff in the whole thing and so Can't i was wait like to get there i was like what if i just <laughs> take this 400 pages turn them over and yeah. read and then you know in the last section of the book like is absolutely incredible so but maybe i should go i mean I guess I should go back and, and read it at some point. But I feel like I've just read, I've read a lot about Hitler. Yeah. Right. In my life. Like, should have played out. Yeah. Well, Martin Should've Amos passed, already say. pretty much said everything there is to say. Yeah, I was thinking that, maybe, that might be the one thing yeah. that unites Ken Osgard yeah. and uh, our boy Anus is the Hitler fixation. <laughs> Although knowing me, I really glom onto the Hitler passage in the sixth book yeah. than anything. I got, it, I got an email That's from a guy the a... other day who was like, yeah, the only Knausgaard I've read is the Hitler section. <laughs> it's like the inverse. He's like, yeah, yeah. I, I was hanging on to every word. I loved it. Dad and you know, cleaning the house and yeah. the shit in the woods. Like, I didn't really connect any of that. <laughs> I just, I, I had to wade through that to get to the Hitler. I just skipped ahead to Hitler. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, I mean, I, honestly, like, you should, that guy should have come on for this I know. episode, and then he could <laughs> fill in the gaps. Or when yeah. you get to the sixth book, you should definitely have him on, and he could be the expert yeah. on the Hiller section. Yeah, when you I get mean, to the sixth book. When, in yeah, like, when we get Really there, yeah. very soon, yeah. In like really 20 soon. years. Yeah. <laughs> At that point, no one, like, Hitler will have been forgotten. DC like, will, and New York will be underwater, like, childhoods. There you like, go, like, yeah. Like, Asgard's childhood <laughs> fantasy, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll be going from island to island. We'll yeah. be going just from like the hilltops with will become big blades islets. on our car. Yeah. That are like... <laughs> yeah, that will... I mean, this is basically a post-apocalyptic scenario he's exactly. painting, right? Exactly, it is. There's yes. Everything's flooded, and there's like cyberpunk blades coming out of people's cars. He's basically outlined like a science fiction movie. It's right a now. Mad Max situation. It's a Mad Max like, situation. Yeah. It's absolutely a Mad Max situation. I would love to see... Actually, yeah, I would love to see a water version of Mad Max. Isn't there it's a, a really good idea? Yeah. Some, Shit, that is a give us some aquatic film called, Mad like, Max. There's some film called Waterland. It was a big bomb or water something. With Kevin, water with, world. With, yeah. with, with, with Kevin Costner. It came out in the 90s. It was like a it's like it's on all those lists of like worst movies ever right. and stuff. And the idea is that the world has no land on it. It's just all water. Oh, okay. Wait, do you Actually, think that's where Kanausgard got? Kanausgard ripped that off. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he just, it's like a Mandela effect where he saw that movie sometime in the 90s and he's like, yeah, I have this childhood (laughs) memory of wanting everything to be water, but he's just remembering the Kevin Costner movie. (laughs) I don't feel like he would have seen, he would only have seen that movie under duress. I feel like his taste in films are very art house and very, like there's a scene where he goes on a date with Linda in one of the other books and they go to see like Charlie Chaplin yeah, short yeah, well, in, like, in which he, he cries laughing which is like to, me, to this <laughs> yeah. day one of the funniest images to me of just Knausgaard with tears streaming down his face watching Charlie Chaplin like do a pratfall <laughs> yeah. I know like what like that but explains a lot like his sense it's of humor like is like so totally much. weird and doesn't like a, a accord with like, other like that's the one thing that affords him release is Charlie Chaplin <laughs> yeah he just loves those wacky he loves the wackiness he loves them yeah yeah he does cry a lot though i mean he doesn't laugh much he cries in this passage he cries yeah yeah he cries like six times in this passage yeah um for good reason i mean his dad just died and they have to deal with this like you know really depressing gray gardens like oh yeah we haven't even talked about gray gardens yet (laughs) oh yeah my no my 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 great insight into the book um 
Yeah, no, just like I, it's like it's a Grey Gardens in yeah in kind of in reverse because it's like the it's Dad who like forced the two of them into this basically yeah into this like fully had to like craziness and then whereas like with Big Edie and Little Edie it was kind of Big Edie who like trapped Little Edie there and obviously yeah. like with Grey Gardens you see you you see that there actually is like love and and yeah like some joy in their lives you see how it kind of like all worked even though of course it was like decrepit and sad but with this it's like since you're only seeing the aftermath like you don't get a sense of you have to fill in all those links like you don't get a sense of what anything was like and it does seem like a lot darker yeah I would definitely recommend this section of Knausgaard for people who liked Grey Gardens but thought it had too many moments of levity or delight if you (laughs) hated that part of Grey Gardens maybe read the section of Knausgaard like, oh, right. I was hoping Grey Gardens would be more of a slog. And- well, in Grey Gardens, there's still this, like, kind of, like, grandeur of decay. There um, is a grandeur. Yeah, there is a grandeur. I'm not, and yeah, the I'm- nostalgia for their kind of uh, a sort of mythic and grand past, which has now fallen into this overgrown rank state. Yeah. Like, they were these, they're almost like yeah. these aristocrats, these royals who are living... Uh, in an overgrown decrepit state yeah and there was also an element of like they were intentionally opting out Mm. you know on some level like they didn't want to do the like whatever society stuff that they had once done like biggie wanted to be a singer and like yeah frustrated singer and so she just kind of said like whatever fuck this i'm gonna like just go become a recluse with my cats yeah. And then kind of like, but then got lonely and sort of like trapped yeah. with her. But like, they definitely like, there is a something rebellious about what they did. Whereas with yeah. dad and grandma, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing. Tr- it's, it's just this, pure. There's not a rebellion going on. Yeah. It's just like, and there was never like a bit, like some grand backstory that they like, yeah. you know, like that they, that, uh, that they can like sort of warmly look back on or whatever. It's just like bad stuff happened really quickly yeah yeah it's it's incredibly unglamorous yeah because those ladies like say what you will they were glamorous as hell like totally they're just fantastically ritzy dazzling like fantastic but yeah there's really there's absolutely nothing nothing glamorous. there's nothing aesthetically yeah. appealing there's nothing aesthetically this. appealing there's no aesthetically redeeming qualities to this nothing right yeah nothing it's just the whole thing is like you do feel like you're in a horror movie. Whereas with Great Gardens, it's like, yes, like you can see, you know, the raccoons are coming out of the walls and like, yeah, you know. they're the, kind of cute. Yeah. And yeah, they're cute. And you kind of, you know, and like Little E's giving them like whole packets of Wonder Bread and like yeah. the cats are just like shitting behind the paintings or whatever. And, and you're like, yeah. okay, this seems like they need help. But also they're also singing songs together and like yeah. dancing and, you know. Um, but I don't think any dancing happened at the- No. I mean, I guess grandma's. we'll never know at this point, but- um, I'm guessing not. I think well, there's probably that just a lot where... of TV watching. Yeah. Doesn't Gunner um, at some point tell the boys that he had found, like, that dad, that the dad had broken his leg? Right. And, yeah, like, that's was left disturbing. And just, like, forbade grandma from calling the police or calling the ambulance or whatever and just kind of sat there drinking with a broken leg for days. Yeah, and then he reproaches. That was dark. He That's reproaches really Gunnar when Gunnar wants to help him. And he says, he says, do you know what your father said? 
trying to push me even deeper into the shit, Gunnar. Is that why you've come to push me even deeper into the shit? Which is odd because he's sitting in his own shit at that point. <laughs> well, it's maybe kind of a winking reference. But but going deeper into the shit, I guess, would be, you know, if he were to leave the house and sort of, I don't know, I don't, I, it's unclear what the shit is, like reality. Uh, I'm not sure that yeah, was that making too much sense at that point. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly sort of out of his head, but. It definitely reflects his like his anger at like his inability to like take responsibility for himself and you know they like gunner shows up to help him and he immediately like wants to blame gunner for like the situation unfolding right like he's so angry that it just is against like and i don't think we ever really get to the bottom of like why dad is so angry we never know yeah yeah there may be no answer it may just be life it's also with gunnar that um carl ove proclaims that we're going to clean the whole house but i don't know if we ever see that thinking he just announces that well i mean what else are you supposed to do but that's odd because the cleaning of the house is like one of the few moments i can think of in in these books or you know that i've uh parts that i've read of them where he he is take he has this like kind of I don't know, agentic mission. Like he's sort of taking control. Like his his decision is is sort of moving the story. Um we'll yeah, deal I with everything true, from yeah. now on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's like it's a very active passage when they're right. cleaning because there's a lot it's it's he's basically just reporting all of their different cleaning actions. Like then I sprayed the spraying the cleaning spray on the tiles and then I rubbed them and then I thought about x y and z you know and that goes on for a a while um I mean one thing that always struck me about this passage is that like if I'd been in this situation I don't know if I would have like tried to do that entire house by myself like with just my brother you would have thought of like maybe bringing in professionals for like a serious hoarding yeah yeah, but they're hmm. not. But they're very DIY types. They're very DIY. I mean, yeah, they're punks. You know, they're. they're I think they. They're I think it, in a way, though, like they have to. It it becomes a kind of emotional mission for them. Like, it's some sort of it's a rescue mission for themselves, or it's like, a, or it's a ritual of like yeah. cleansing that they need to undertake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to sort of wash themselves, or to just kind of cleanse themselves of what has been done to them yeah i and i think that they it 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 again like in its own way is part of this mythic right like atmosphere to the to the events that he kind of lends it of like the boy you know the the sons like they have to go through this ritualistic process in in order to get to the other side well what did james would say augian the augian Augian yeah yeah yeah, it is. It's mytho- mythological. I want to give a shout out to this punctilious funeral director. For some reason, he just sticks with me. A portly man who might have been in his mid-60s stepped out, impeccably dressed in a dark suit and white shirt, and looked at us. Again, he struggles with clothing descriptions here. It's like, okay, he's wearing a dark suit and a white shirt, but why does that make him impeccably dressed? It's like the woman wearing an outfit. What? What's going on? Well, you got to be impeccable if you're dealing with 
grieving people. I guess. It's funny because Karlovit like definitely cares about clothes, like especially does. In, in later books and also yeah. even in stuff that um, has already come up, like, you know, as a teenager caring about like having yes. cool like punk clothes and stuff. But he's not that good with other people's clothes. He's really like, he not that good at describing other people's himself. clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Every description is like someone wearing a shirt as well as pants of a certain color <laughs> yeah. as well as shoes. Yeah. That all matched each other. It's like. It's very, I mean, again, very hetero, hetero male. But remember here that he's also, well, maybe he announces this a few pages later, but you know how he entered, or he says that a zone has been installed around him now in his state. Yeah, he he says that back out on the street, as we walked toward our car, something had changed. What I saw, what we were surrounded by was no longer Mm. in focus. It had been pushed into the background as if a zone had been installed around me from which all meaning had been drained. The world had vanished. That was the feeling I had, but I didn't care because dad was dead. Dad was uh, dead. Although actually he says, while in my mind, the undertaker's office in all its details. So the white shirt, the punctilious funeral director was very vivid and clear. The town around it was fuzzy and gray. I walked through it because I had no choice. I wasn't thinking differently. Inside my mind, I was unchanged. The only difference was that now I demanded more room. And hence, I was excluding an external reality. I couldn't explain it in any other way. Yeah. Um, but I think that that, like, I mean, that's, I think that that is, like, a great description of what it feels like to, like, be in shock from a major yeah. emotional event. And you're stuck in that space and you don't, and, like, the rest of the world kind of doesn't seem as as present to you right like he's just like on autopilot going through the town but he's only thinking about like the dad situation right but so he, he says this but then a few pages later if i remember correctly like he does have this rhapsody on the rain the raindrops it starts raining and he, he goes into this like oh the raindrops that fall on the dry hot tarmac and then evaporate so, and sometimes he actually calls our attention to what he wasn't noticing, which means he still sort of did notice it. Mm-hmm. So then I wondered about this zone and like what it actually excluded. Um, well, and yeah, like when, when they're in the house and right. dealing with the situation, he's like hyper vigilant and hyper aware yeah. of every single object, basically. Like, you know, and there's this whole part where they're looking for the coffee pot and he's like, like frantically looking for the coffee pot and the coffee and like you know so he's very spatially aware once he's like in the like back in the sort of mythic quest this is the grandma who was a um who was a chauffeur right isn't that the weird detail about her what yes he was a female chauffeur in the 1930s and was this was the granddad the one who like had like a like nazi memorabilia or something is that this yeah. grand i think it is i think that's him yeah 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 yep a little bit of fashion forgot she was a chauffeur yeah it stuck out to me that detail and now <sighs> she's s- totally static yeah right i feel like i don't remember that much about her when he flashbacks to 
childhood and like knew her when she was younger i'm not yeah i think i mean i think grandma's the one i think it's that set of grandma and grandpa who come over on the famous new year's eve where he's with the beer bag but it's not like they right do much i think he says grandma has a green thumb so she's a good gardener and also wait is that the Pretty gift of the tablecloth yeah, that's the grandma oh, who accepts yeah. the tablecloth. That is the grandma who accepts the tablecloth. Yeah, which yeah. he which he sees. <laughs> which is which as he, we witnesses. Know, he witnesses. He witnesses. He witnesses it. Yeah, yeah. He witnesses the scandal. Beginning of the end. Yeah. <laughs> the that is the grandma. The barrier. I don't know. Do you see I, the tablecloth I, again in this passage. You know, good, really good question. I yeah. feel like she probably has the same tablecloth, right? I feel like it must still be around. Yeah. Although there is a part where he figures out where the rotting smell must have come from, which is one of the bedrooms where they've like put everything and it goes, I switched on the light, towels, sheets, tablecloths, trousers, sweaters, dresses, underwear. They had thrown it all in here. So maybe that's where the tablecloth is. I think that's probably, I think it's almost certainly where the tablecloth is now. Yeah. I think that's a fair supposition. He says now they're like actually decomposing, you know, they're not even, they're like past the stage of mildew. They're like returning to earth. Yeah, poor grandma. Yeah. Whole thing. But I really, I mean, I think that like this, the passage of the, the you know, the aftermath of dad's death and, and, you know, cleaning up the house and dealing with grandma and like that, this entire, which is really like the heart of this first book. Like, um, I just think it's like such an incredible piece of writing for that hypnotic reason that Right. You outline Drew. Like it is that's one of the it, as far as that effect, like it is one of the strongest parts of the whole series in terms of that. It's like it's genuinely thrilling. It like does feel like a horror yeah. movie where you're about to find out the big reveal and it just like mm-hmm. keeps you like completely um completely in the story with him. Yeah, well, and, you like, know, that yeah. Yeah. It's the fusion or maybe they're interrelated, I'm not sure, of like this hypnotic seemingly blank hypnotic tone with the mythic we, the mythic quest we have which is rare because a lot of the other or what i've read you know like book two and even much of book one there is not much of a discernible shape whereas towards the end of this one clearly you know there is which is why that moment when he announces like we're going to clean the basement seems crucial <laughs> you're like oh shit yeah you know, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it almost is like he's <laughs> He's decided something and like a decision yeah. he's taking is going to be like, a you know, this motivating You're telling force. me this guy's about to do something. <laughs> and it's not just like he's like dithering at like this guy's about to affect his, his own fate with his daughter yeah. or just like, you know, checking out the fitness instructor, or like reading yeah. Dostoevsky in the cafe and sort of just like flitting about yeah. in his wraith like way. Um, yeah, I mean, I can I in my mind, like I lump this passage in with like, um, like the Linda birth scene and mm-hmm. right. um and you know maybe even like the 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 uh like the rhythm time baby music class <laughs> and other passages like that where he just like really stretches them out yes. and he just like right. goes super long and just like really goes for it and it also like in in book six um the passages about like Linda's struggles with mental illness are are also a lot like this like very immersive like very um, you know, again, like these are not books really with plot, but there are kind of these like mini books within them that yeah. kind of function almost as standalones. Yeah. Within it. 
It's funny, you think of suspense novels as being very tightly written and super like architectural, but uh, I think he, this is kind of the opposite way of achieving suspense by completely inverting that of just, but I think you have to be a very good writer. Yeah, to achieve that, to, to achieve genuine suspense through utter grinding uh, mundanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's like, that's so, that's like one of his, that's kind of his superpower, right? Like, he, I think so. And yeah. most, and most people wouldn't really have like the confidence either to, yeah. to do that because that everything no you're taught about novelist. writing is yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, it does. Like we were saying with Tori, it's, you've really got to believe in, you've either got to believe in yourself or just have this like primitive impulse to just do it. And I think it's probably the latter. Um, is he just, he's possessed by something where it just pours out. But I wonder too, um, like how he still he still had achieved some sort of control, you know. I mean, yeah. he's not just like it's not just raving. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to it's it's again because of the immersive aspect. It's actually hard to pick up on on what he's doing sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Not noticing. Yeah. Like even in this chat, like I mean, actually, it is true. Like in these moments, um, these moments do feel at least a little bit more like craft, maybe not crafted, but shaped by his, it's like, you know, wall of grief that he's in. But um, even here, there are a lot of details that seem almost random, like it seemed to be like unedited by any kind of literary consciousness, which is part of the power, but, you know, it, it still remains, it has that, that sort of perplexing quality of that you don't know like what's doing the sort of editing um at all times this part with grandma she keeps saying this thing life's a pitch as the old woman said she couldn't (laughs) pronounce her b's that is so creepy how grandma it also must be different in norwegian because i don't know who can't pronounce their b's that's like one it's of the easiest sounds for children untranslatable idiom yeah it's probably like like r's and l's or something Yeah. yeah Bees are not hard to pronounce. Um, I mean, there's a reason like the word for dad when is she Baba. Keeps saying it. Yeah. Like when she keeps it's saying. So creepy, and each so time creepy. she says it's... it again, it gets worse. Yeah. I know. Because the first time you're like, oh, that's kind of funny. Grandma's kind of sassy, uh, and then, <laughs> and by like the eleventh time she said it, you're like, oh man. And then it ma- it actually makes him cry. Um, yeah. One time because she yeah. says it again, and then there's like some back and forth about like where they're yeah. gonna sleep. And they go out to the car and um, and Karluva turns to Ingva and says, have you seen inside, I said. He nodded. On the way downstairs, a huge surge of tears overcame me. This time there was no question of trying to hide it. My whole chest trembled and shook. I couldn't draw breath. Deep sobs rolled through me and my face contorted. I was completely out of control. And then there's like a great Karlovism. Ooh, I said, <laughs> ooh, like one of his like, <laughs> One of his like onomatopoeia. I love things. him. Like, I know it's the best. <laughs> He's so unafraid to just throw that in there. Yeah, I really, I I'm inspired by that. I want to do more, just like totally freestyle onomatopoeia, and also, um, I want to feel incredibly unafraid to use ellipses just wantonly. He, yeah, my man. If he's he's like, I don't know how to end this paragraph. We're gonna put in some ellipses. That's what we're gonna do. Yeah, I should, I think, like, my years of journalism have, like, 
so brainwash me against ellipses. Exactly. Yeah. Like I can't, it's like hard to, it's hard to imagine using them. I also like, I associate them with like in a quote, if you're like shortening a quote and, but maybe that's what it is. We didn't realize until now he's shortening quotes, actually. That's the editing. That's (laughs) That's the the editing. editing. (laughs) Yeah. He just decided to take some out. Yeah. He's just like, I'm just going to take out that part, but I'll put in a list so that they knew that I had I mean, they're yeah, they're considered sort of even like in literary writing, they're considered like yeah. a, like cheesy like childlike really cheesy. device. Like yeah. you know, instead of like developing a kind of like dreamy tone or a transition, yeah. you're just like throwing in the da da da. Just yeah, I like I I want to get into it. I kind of I'm gonna embrace ellipses in my novel. It's funny because he doesn't do transitions. Like he does yeah. not do like thematic yeah. transitions like at all. Yeah. He's just like this happened, this happened, this happened. Yeah. I thought this. I put a fish cake on the yeah. stove. I then thought about like how dad hit me in the face once or whatever, you know, like, and, um, and yet it, it actually like is less like that works better for what he's doing yeah. than if you were actually crafting, like, yeah. you know, really like smooth transitions between paragraphs. Well, I don't yeah, know. I, mean, I that's, think it like, just the, goes that's... to show you that what they teach you in writing class is not always true or helpful i'm I mean, shocked to hear that yeah <laughs> i'm shocked to hear that yeah no did, i mean did, did you both do mfas or just drew just drew just drew. Me. i want to be very clear okay i do not have an mfa i've never tried to get an mfa i'm cool i'm a cool person okay the no, record, but is, is, they never well, taught us that. are they okay but are they i'm curious about this like is it mm. what do you do during it like all you really <laughs> do is uh Somebody submits two people for, you know, you have workshop once a week, Tuesday afternoon, two people or sometimes one person submit a story and then the floor is open for everybody in the class to discuss the ways in which it's working or not working. And, um, you know, you try to be kind of not objective, but sort of technical and precise and 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 that's that's really it. Um, there's it's not very it's not that as prescriptive as as Lauren was making it out to be. At least in my case, it wasn't. Um, well, I wasn't. I was talking about like writing we learned yeah, in undergrad. Like no, that's certainly. something our mentor Ralph would have told us, and I'm sure he did tell us many times. Yeah, I think in undergrad, yeah. like you kind of concentrate more on actual like devices that you could ape from from published work. But um, yeah, no. When I in the MFA, at least in my MFA world. It was it was usually dependent on what the specific story was trying to do, and you sort of try to study the expectations it seemed to set for itself. But yeah, it's not it's not it's I don't know. Lately, there's been a lot of discourse saying that uh, the IRA Writers Workshop is a CIA recruitment mm. facility. I wasn't recruited, so well, that's what is you that say. true? Uh, there's some there's some connection. Not, I don't even know if it's the original workshop itself, but some Iowa affiliated programs like we're we're sponsored by the State Department in the Cold War to make like America a center of the literary arts as opposed to the USSR. Uh, I I don't know enough about the actual history. So I only know the sort of mythic resonances I've heard, but yeah. Okay, so this is a CIA podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a okay. CIA affiliated podcast. I mean, we said podcast. it months ago in the land of the PSYOPs. We were trying to tell you. 
Well, I guess also the thinking yeah. was, I don't know, again, I have, I don't know the whole official story, but like the thinking was that the writing workshop, the workshop would be sort of like very purely aesthetic or technical to kind of um, block out any more like polemical or political influences or writing that you might want to get up to as an artist. So oh, interesting. More, huh. Yeah, I think this, ar- this argument is like rather crude. And that's like, why be- Iowa has like, such a technical style of writing that's the but even that's a somewhere like outmoded of idea of what what happens there i think um but i also think it's a bit crude just as crude to say that some mantra like you know like show not tell is inherently like fascist or something like that. <laughs> you think that's crude interesting yeah i think it's crude. <laughs> think it's um crude? and even that i mean even show not tell is a crude idea but i mean i don't know how i don't know how can osgard would fit into that into that world either um the man does a lot of showing and a lot of telling he does i mean certainly like the way he does he notices things does seem to like fight against sort of the any shapely idea you you might have of fiction but like then again i mean perhaps now maybe he's done some work to make that less unconventional than it it might be i'm not sure like, although I don't know if I've encountered a lot of fiction or a lot of prose that seems to take it to that, take that undifferentiated thing to like this length. Like, is there right. fiction out? Is there fiction out there? I don't know. I don't read enough contemporary fiction that like seems like line for line to like echo or like work with this sort of s- seemingly kind of uh, like unfiltered method, if it is a method. Well, I don't, I mean, I haven't read really, like, others in the sort of autofiction right. movement that he's compared to, um, so I don't know. I mean, he, to me, he seems, like, fairly sui generis in terms of yeah what he does, um, and I do think it's the kind of thing that, like, is really not, like, technique-focused, like, it's, you know, just, like, you know it's yeah he says it's like I had to write this like I had to do it this way like this is what I had to do like I don't you know I don't think that I I think it would be very hard to try to write exactly like him yeah like yeah and I've um, tried you've tried that's what all my my trauma essay was oh you did a pair yeah but I don't know if you even succeeded at at the on that level you succeeded on a different way thank you I I read your essay um, and I'm, I thought it was really strong and I'm really sorry that happened to you by the way. Oh, like, thank you. Just, I know your whole point is that you're not traumatized by it, but like <laughs> no, but I still you know, appreciate I'm sorry it. That happened. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, so yeah. yeah, but no, but look, this is the problem with higher education these days is that they don't teach you how to write like Carly Vicknowsgard. Yeah, so that's, that's why. Definitely the problem. That's why college is a scam. Yeah, that's why. No other reason. <laughs> Um, cool. What else are you guys reading these days? Uh, well, Time Zero. I guess I already said that. <laughs> I penetrated it. I've actually, I, I, although I, I've been trying to say that, like the my my MFA wasn't as like conservative as it as people make it out to be. I've mostly been reading Richard Yates, uh, his novel, The Easter Parade. But I've been trying to, I've been trying to read sort of like clean linear stuff because like i'm i'm doing my own writing now which kind of isn't that it's a bit more tangly so 
I think you have to like practice like good hygiene in your reading to like, mm. you know, help your like you want to read against what you write, I think. Oh, so like if you want to write like Knausgaard, you shouldn't actually read Knausgaard. Mm. You should read something that's very like shapely and pointed. Okay. This is my own okay. theory of like hygiene and reading. I like to read against my own impulses. I also think it's like, it's just like healthy. Fair enough. I mean, I think uh -huh. diversification of the portfolio is always good. Mm, not necessarily, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I do think it's good sometimes to like, to force yourself to read something that isn't necessarily like what you feel drawn to read at that moment. Like right. it's just like a good discipline practice. Um, I've never been like super organized about that kind of thing though. I'm always just like, oh, I'm enjoying this book. Like, yeah, you know? No, I mean, it's definitely um, whimsical. Like I can't, I can't actually plan it out in an in a intentional way. Maybe I can, I don't know. I picked up um, at the library used book sale, uh, The Tremor of Forgery by Patricia Highsmith. And I've been reading that and I enjoy it a lot. That's, this is for my genre fiction boys and girls out there. You know, I love my genre fiction. I love my Jean Genet. Um, what? <laughs> no, I just, it just, for some reason, I keep thinking about how much Carl Ludwig Knausgaard loves genre fiction. It just Wait, makes me he? happy because Wait, I hope yes. he, yeah, because he loves his Jean Genet. He loves John Le Carré. Like, he, yeah, he loves crime and. Uh, okay, I actually didn't think about it. We should do an episode yeah. on that. I would love to. Wait, does he mention, does he mention loving John Le Carré anywhere? Uh, does not, he say not in the my struggle but in interviews oh, okay. he said that he loves tinker taylor and um smiley i think he said like smiley's people is like his favorite mini series of all time what? well he has good yeah. taste he has yeah. good taste i yeah. agree yeah i thought he was into chaplin and like dostoevsky and... no he likes his he likes his genre stuff also and it just because i'm writing a genre novel so i right I'm hoping he'll blurb but your thing is you're trying to like make the Kanoz Guardian style, in, which it actually yeah. is at times does seem like a genre style. You're trying to like <laughs> it's appropriate. It's like genres. its own genre. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of fusion there. But you know what? Actually, noir novels, I think if you read a lot of them, you notice they do have Kanoz Guardian moments because given how tight the plot is, you actually, I think, have more leeway for idle observations uh, that you couldn't have in an otherwise... Um, in like a, I don't know, literary novel. You're saying that there's like a global thread so they can hold together other noticing something? like what Yeah, I just, there's a lot of noticing in noir mm. and mystery because it's a lot of placiness. It's a lot of right. to establish place, right? The classic, like, you know, they're always saying, oh, Los Angeles is the other character in like a Raymond Chandler novel. <laughs> they love saying that. That's a, that's a classic that, blur yeah. for that shit. And so, but yeah, when you, the city is a character, you're going to have a lot of idle observations that don't necessarily add anything to the um, plot. I think so. This is just a theory I thought of right now that I can expatiate at a later point. Well, I can see but, how sort of like yeah. the flaneur noticing, There's some flaneur, like, yeah, because detached it's noticing some, impulse yes. in his extreme. Like, well, yeah, and the person flaneuring is always some, yeah, depressed kind of cerebral person. And like so, also like this like detective yeah. adrift is sort of like the, a flaneur figure exactly yeah I mean, detectives what are detectives if not yeah they're flaneurs, flaneurs. <laughs> yeah they that's what are detectives what, what, that's what flaneurs. i mean actually yeah, I like the, that. Yeah. the flaneurs are like created by the novelist to just notice yeah. things really well and see exactly things expertly yeah. so flaneurs are detectives detectives are flaneurs it just takes that yeah. Yeah. further i mean has a 
pragmatic reason for it. I mean, it's at, well, it's at like, the very basis. It's a person walking around alone, right? So I think I mean genuinely, aimlessly, I basically. Aimlessly. I mean, aimlessly. Yeah. But detectives be... aren't aimless. That's the problem. They're right. they well, but aim. they're always noticing things on their way to like interview a suspect or meet some broad. You but know, do they have the that like detached blankness? Like, I saw a woman drinking Seven Up and smoking a Camel Light. Sometimes a man was wearing. Uh, but my point is, I think you have more like leeway to just throw those things in there because otherwise, mm. like the 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 novel will be inherently kind of short. So I think you can just kind of throw in some beef or some fat of just idle observations because it's well, very I mean, very another, architectural. Otherwise, well, right, and and another genre actually that uses a ton of this, but in a very like it's actually like super crucial to these sorts of books is like fantasy books it's just yeah. like the oh the an overwhelming amount of detail of like and then they gathered round for like roast goose and like yeah. you know mead and blah 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 and like and it's because that's what people read those books for right like yeah. they want that world building right aspect. right huh yeah i never thought about that that's huh world building that that oh. phrase was thrown around a lot at iowa and it became like oh, a, it? Ba a bane of my existence there I would always say like no, but it's about world feeling. Like I want to inhabit the world. I don't want to. I don't want to build. You would it. say that you're <laughs> quoting yourself right now. I'm quoting myself. Yeah, <laughs> the rants I delivered. Yeah. When I was being recruited for the show, yeah. not tell CIA. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of the CIA recruiting you is so funny to me. Like, actually, almost uh, you'd, you'd be so bad at being in the CIA. It's almost makes me think it would almost work it'd be the it perfect would almost style. work yeah because no one would suspect yeah well, i could just say that i was like a literary flaneur yeah i was just like drifting about i think of it as like well he's got this podcast he's harmless he just has a podcast yeah. on this this norwegian writer they could send me on different tours yeah as it's already happening we're going to norway so maybe this yeah i mean i don't think norway is like an important intelligence target for the u.s <laughs> not yet, but not like yet. But not, not, not yet, yet but it will be shortly yeah. when you come back with all your info yeah i think there's some intrigues going on up in the arctic circle let's just say i think there's some stuff going on well i wanted to do an episode on the connection between like you know, big oil intelligence yes, I actually, agencies. Let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. The oil okay. lobby, yeah. basically, like funding directly or indirectly the production yeah. of my struggle, and it's, you know, it's it's <laughs> eventual popularity. Like it's yeah. not random. I'm saying there might be some sort of okay, yeah. There might be a reason we're talking about this book and not. Mm. I don't know. I don't mm. know what. I don't even know the book we're not talking mm. about. Yeah. But well. I mean, there might, it might not even be that much of a conspiracy. It's just yeah. that, like, because of the oil boom, Norway is really rich. <laughs> they could just a have a lot of social nets. Yeah. And that's why, like, well, Knausgaard didn't have to have a job. Yeah. He never has a job in this. He never has a job. He's, like, sometimes no, he working as an editor. Magazine. Of a, yeah, he's an editor of a literary magazine. Since when has that been a job where you make more than, like, $2 a year? <laughs> like, it's well, just, Right, right. And then Linda, yeah. right, Linda goes to, Linda works for a while, but then she goes to grad school. She um, goes to drama school, like, right after she has a baby. Like, you can only do that in Scandinavia. Like, I also think, like. He does talk at times yeah. about them being short on money or being yeah. in debt and stuff, but it doesn't seem to affect their lifestyle But it never seems, yeah, to be that big of a deal. They're like, oh, a check will well, come in, we'll pay the bills. He like, says he's perfectly happy being thrifty when he has to, and then he's also perfectly happy being a spendthrift when he has money, I think is what he says. 
Well, he famously bought a monk painting kind of recently. Oh, really? An Edward Monk painting, yeah. Well, he can afford it now. He can afford it now, yeah. But back in the, you know, back in the, but yeah. apparently he could afford lots of stuff because they're always like living yeah. in expensive areas and like, you know, well, I think it's meeting also, all of their children's yeah. needs easily. And Linda's mother is kind of like a famous actress in, or a famous theater actress. But I think they have a lot of like, I guess, assets in terms of just having an apartment in Stockholm, like just ready for them. Because doesn't Linda's mother just give them her apartment? And that's got to be like a huge Oh yeah, asset. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yes, that is, I think, how they got that yeah. apartment. But then they have to move because like the neighbor downstairs like harasses them. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, shit, that's, that's a whole... Talk about a motif, Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. Well, then they move um, to Malmo. Yeah, I don't know what to yeah, they moved to Malmo and he hates their apartment there. And that's where I believe that's where the children's party yes, that scene is, takes yeah. place. The quinoa, the infamous the quinoa. quinoa. We'll get to the Swedes. Episode. We're getting there. The Swedes, they are they have appeared, let's just say I know, we're on the slouch, horizon. We're slouching towards <laughs> Yeah, I can't wait. Sweden. Yeah. And they're hovering quinoa. around the edges. <laughs> yeah. With their smug quinoa laden. I don't even want to think about those Swedes. Yeah. Let me just tell you, when we go to Norway, we will not stop by. <laughs> on the other side of the bay of whatever the fuck is <laughs> the north sea <laughs> i actually kind of want to get in a, I wanna get on a ferry we can go to denmark that's fine i just i'm not gonna go to sweden you guys uh, should yeah. is it that it doesn't he take the ferry to like there is a ferry to denmark right or did yeah, i, make that I think was telling so. us about it last time yeah yeah we're gonna get on that ferry have a yeah. romantic uh ferry quest because mm-hmm. i'm feeling very mythical now we're into yeah you want to mythically clean out a hoarding situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they're, they're, we're going to have to clean up something. They're going to have to clean up after us. That's for that's for shit share. We're, you know, I'm a very, we'll be very polite guest. I'm a barbarian. We'll be, no, no. We're going to burnish America's reputation by being polite and charming while we're being hosted by our Norwegian friends, Drew. I feel like everything's so orderly there. It kind of goes against my own impulses. I know. I feel kind of nervous about it, actually. Like, I don't. Everything's very bright and orderly. Yeah. I'm more squalid. I feel safer. Although actually, maybe I like that. I, I sort of need that. It's like what I was talking about reading, like clean realism. Like yeah. I need the clean, the clean pragmatism, the realism of Scandinavia. Mm. I mean, like I think um, it's it's not going to shock you. Like I've been to only to Oslo. I haven't been elsewhere in Norway, but it, um, yeah, it's orderly, but not in like not in a fascist way. Okay, oh. that's good to know. It's just it's pleasant. Yeah. It's pleasant. Okay. Yeah. Like well, the train from the airport some takes like five seconds. That sounds amazing. And, you know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I don't remember where I ate there. It was like a yeah. few years ago now. I just remember feel, thinking that it was like a very pretty city that was like also very staid. Yeah. Like mm. yeah. it's very, it's very sedate. Yeah. I, I like that. Like. I like staid places. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be a good place to spend a few days. Yeah. We got to figure yeah. out how long we're staying there and everything yeah we gotta figure out a lot of stuff (laughs) (laughs) or else it's gonna be really like work (laughs) yeah that is a problem i have all summer can we go next summer maybe i guess we go next summer yeah um speaking of tori peters by the way i was it was i I was heartened to listen to that episode and realize that i was not the only supplicant (laughs) no no you're not 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 by a long shot I would have been um, fine with that, but yeah, it is. It's great for you guys that so many yeah. are something. No, it's it's incredibly flattering and surprising, endlessly surprising. Mostly. I just don't understand yeah. why anyone 
wants people to come just need, on here. I think we need some kind of forum. I told that Reddit guy to start an R Struggle subreddit. Like some, there just needs to be a forum for discussion. And it doesn't seem like a lot of discussion goes on on r slash Canalsguard for whatever reason. So I don't know, but like, I don't want to make a group chat because those are kind of chaotic and I also don't want to have to look at it all the time. So, but someone, someone should figure something out about. Oh, we some have our, our Twitter space. It's a nice, yeah, we have our nice Twitter, little yeah. niche yeah. there. But I think that a subreddit would be good. Yeah. Because it's like, because then it can, the conversation can kind of like veer off into. Yeah. It could also become like general literature. Life, exactly. Lifestyle. Like, yeah. You know, tin fish, all, all tin manners fish. of lifestyle things. Yeah. Although I don't know, subreddits can get pretty dark and twisted like pretty quickly. Yeah. Like those are those can become squalid spaces that need to be cleansed. Yeah, Drew spends a lot of time on certain not subreddits. <laughs> you're off the subreddit. I'm offline completely. I'm offline. Yeah. The only thing keeping me online is this fucking show because it's like yeah. it's Twitter notifications which rip me away from my life. Yeah. Such as it is. Yeah, such as um, it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going uh, offline. It's part of my own mythical quest. And... I like that. I like that yeah. for you. Yeah. you I'm going I'd like to actually... go offline. I'd like to yeah. go offline. I'm going Seems offline like nice to place. Norway. Offline is actually what they call Norway. Yeah, is that what they call it? <laughs> That's a euphemism. Like, I'm going to Norway. It means you're leaving. Yeah. Oh, leaving okay. I like oh, that. Okay. I like yeah. that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I went to Norway recently by deleting my Twitter from my phone. Oh, oh yeah, smart. I do that all the time. Yeah. And then I And then I didn't miss it, it at all. Like I was just like that's I, didn't, awesome. I don't miss it. Like Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's poison. It's killing us all, so. Although It's bad. It's bad. It's really It bad is bad, but like the hours struggle universe see, feels like benign and it rich does, in a sense. So, far, so like yeah. it doesn't it's not like My fingers crossed. burning me up. Yeah. It's not it's not yeah. a swamp. So like if I get Twitter notifications about yeah. our struggle, I'm sort of like heartened that anyone is yeah. paying us any mind. Yeah, I think we're just too niche and like absurdist to draw any ire or I mean attention really. <laughs> I'm happy to get a notification about Martin Anus's Times yeah. Arrow or whatever yeah. the fuck. You know, like that that brings me joy or yeah, i did that for you babe i did that for you yeah thanks okay. so much i really I, although i'm I a little really don't think many people realized what i was kind of pissed that not many people realized my entente maybe <laughs> i don't know entente. write it if you understood my entente write in right okay, i understood it okay. i understood it okay i good. can i can say that right now okay i, mean, I don't I know anything has to do with Drew, were, you were you once went by the moniker Martin Anus on yes. right? Is that right. the more? That's yeah, the more. That's okay, so that's lore. like yeah. backstory where like only the yeah. real heads. Right, it's a real heads. No. Yeah. Oh, but then Drew has since like insisted on continuing to call him Martin Anus, and it's like so not funny <laughs> that it's become funny again. <laughs> like now I think it's funny. I used to think it was really stupid, and now I like just laugh at myself whenever I have the thought. Yeah, but see, I still don't get the implication because that means that you're you're penetrating Martin Anus, so I don't that. Yeah, that's a little What's bewildering. No, nothing. Go ahead. I guess. don't understand what the issue is. No, no issue. <laughs> why can't I? Why can't I penetrate Martin Anus? Why not? I mean, we're gonna get him on the show, and they'll tell us. We'll tell. Well, then we'll really. I penetrate guess. Yeah, him. we'll really. <laughs> he should definitely come on. He should. I know. Come on. We need I, think him he, on. I think he lives in Brooklyn, actually. Yeah, I know he does. Yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. Good. That, that's actually that's, our mission. That's yeah. who we're talking to on Friday. <laughs> I'm moving to New York just to yeah. track him down. I found yeah. James. I'm wearing my James. Actually, we'll go to Martin Amos's house with my James Wood 
shirt. Yeah, he'll yeah. like that. Although I think no, they actually have a weird thing. You guys should both go wearing both James Wood shirts. Yeah, yeah that would be wild. Yeah. Just show up, hey Martin. But he's so he's so runty. He's a little runt of the litter. He seems like he's a small man. Yeah. He is a small man and his teeth are fucked up. I appreciate that though. Because wasn't he kind of a Lothario in the 80s? That's cool Mm. that like a short man with fucked up teeth. (laughs) I mean, he's like (laughs) so English. Like it's like the English cliche, right? That they have bad teeth. That is, yeah, that is an incredibly English cliche. You know, I really don't think it's as true anymore as it once was. Um like my husband is English and his teeth are oh, perfectly no fine, but he's also thirty-two, so I don't know. I mean, like yeah. if our name is age, yeah, maybe <laughs> I guess we'll see. The orthodontia problems will start emerging once he hits yeah. forty. Yeah. No, yeah, that book. It's about his teeth. It's about his dad, and it's about like how there was like a huge scandal in the UK when he like switched agents. That's awesome. Or something. Weirdly like, enough, I think that book experience was the only book that ever made me cry. And I don't know if oh, I want to. Wow. I, I don't know if I want to. And was it the teeth it parts? Was it the teeth no, parts? No, I think or was it was the dad the, parts. I think it was the dad parts. Oh, okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's the only book that ever made me. I I oh. read it at a sort of charge point in my own life, but um, yeah, I should I should oh. interrogate that a bit more. Yeah, you need to find a surrogate Kingsley. Surrogate <laughs> Kingsley Kingsley anus. <laughs> <laughs> there is a Kingsley anus on Twitter that I yeah. found. You should well reach out to him, DM him, say, "Do you want to be my dad?" Usually, that doesn't work out so well. The past few times, I've asked people to be my dad. Yeah. Sort of backfired. They got a little yeah. distant and weird. Oh well, you know, take it slow. Yeah. We should, yeah, we should You'll do find one. You'll on, find one. We're gonna we're gonna come out with a Martin Amos, sorry, anus, whatever the fuck it is, <laughs> episode penetration <laughs> episode. Because I'm Martin Amos Kingsley anus double penetration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i, I actually think yeah. in so many ways he's short his books are like comically pointed and structured yeah. he's that's like true he's in- literally he is the inverse of Kanazgard. yeah he's the inverse yeah. of Kanazgard. i mean i guess he's, he's elongated European. yeah he's not rambling. like brazilian yeah. or something but um really and he actually did an experimentation his lat he did another memoir or some like like I actually own, but I haven't read it. Called I don't know. I forget what it's called. True True Life. It's not that, but um. Anyway, it's like in real life or something. Yeah, like, I, it, yeah, whatever the fuck it is. It's like his four way four a, which I guess is not new for him because he in his so called auto fiction. Although essentially he was already doing that, but yeah. I think it was his like response. oh inside story inside yeah story, inside story right? yeah. So. And it was billed as like it's his my name is his adventure with the, the the you know the new genre of what the kids are up to. Oh, okay. I I could be. I think I ordered it and I started reading it and I I sort of just it it actually just seemed like a weird uh, continuation of experience. Like he's still on about oh like I wanted to be Saul Bellow's son and Christopher Hitchens oh, yeah. died and he just, <laughs> he's just like talk about somebody that's just like so absorbed in his own fucking. He's up his own anus of myth. Like, he just yeah. can't escape. Um, but, yeah. Maybe, huh. yeah. Yeah, maybe but, let's do it. Let's do a, let's do a Martin You could episode. do a spinoff. You could start doing spinoff episodes yeah. about Martin, uh, Martin, <laughs> a, a certain last name. I'm forgetting his last she name She can't bring now, herself but, to yeah. say it. She can't bring herself. 
Well, this is why I was shamed into changing it because yeah. Chris, Christian Lorenzen said, like, yeah. that's gross, dude. <laughs> I, he didn't want to, people wouldn't want to talk to me on, on, yeah. on in the Twitterverse. No, it's, I think it's I think it's coming back around though. I think there's gonna be a, a Martin Anus redemption arc in a in a few months. Are things redeemed? Yeah, yeah it's becoming redeemed because yeah. now people see the asshole will become the anus will become prolapsed. Oh my god. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is really gonna get Martin Amos to wanna come on. I know <laughs> now, now I'm actually worried. This recording. I, I'm trying to like yeah. edit it myself when I you yeah. see this is the problem now that now that there's a chance that we could like actually get him, I'm starting to worry. Yeah. Like, I don't want to. Well, listen, if he can't handle this kind of banter, we don't want him on our fucking podcast. Fuck off. He's of, of another generation. A more dec- <laughs> yeah. he's like a he's Martin, like a decor- come on the podcast. Martin, he's like a decorous wit. You know that's the problem. Like the dire decorous problem. Wit. Like well, yeah, our track has- was dire. Our decorous decorous wit. wits is not too good. He was basically was he, a decorous how decorous wit. was he? Not because it doesn't seem decorous. like it was that decorous actually. Yeah, what happened. He did call uh, me young lady. I mean, decorous just in the sense of like he had a, he has his like rehearsed lines that he's almost like a comic with his rehearsed bit. And if you veer away from that, he will be unhappy. Well, they're just not of the riffing generation, you know. Right. They didn't grow up with podcasts, so they don't. They didn't have auto fiction. They, they didn't, didn't have, have auto the fiction. Riff. They didn't know about the riff. That's kind of you got to embrace that form. Well, the podcast is sort of like an inherently you know, stunted and kind of like um, wayward form. Definitely. I guess I don't. I don't want to get well, too Yeah, it's not the same as like it's not really the same as going on a radio show. Like, yeah, I think that's what they TV think is, it like, is. You have to have your little, yeah. Like they think it's like we're gonna have our prescribed questions, and I basically know what you're gonna ask me, and these, like dozens of other yeah. journalists have asked me these questions. Like I've watched interviews with Martin Amos. <laughs> Amos. <laughs> uh, I should just say anus at this point. And he basically has the same like rejoinders and repartee and reposts yeah. in, e- in every interview. Like he comes prepared with his little story, his little gem in his pocket, you know? And it doesn't matter if it's like the New Yorker festival or whoever the fuck is asking him questions. Like he'll, he's just playing his part. He's playing the Martin Amos role or the Martin yeah. Amos role because I'm the Martin Amos role. Yeah. <laughs> and so Dyer, you know, maybe <laughs> has that idea. Like yeah. he's playing, he's playing Jeff Dyer. Although now, yeah. weirdly enough, like this myth has now become like our, our kind of origin story, in origin <laughs> story for us. Like we have emerged yeah. from this yeah. victorious. Yeah. The, uh, so you know, maybe he's still, although he's very offline, so I don't think he's caught wind of it either way. Yeah, hopefully not. Well, I mean, Meckley and- had to reach out to him for comment during the Vanity Fair article. <laughs> Can you imagine he just and like he just said, I have nothing to say. Went on this dithering show yeah. about Kinosgard and then yeah. he's contacted by this journalist. Like uh, what? He doesn't deserve it. He's really, I don't know. I think I think he's very charming and talented. Yeah. I don't he's I don't think he's a dude. genius, but I don't I don't I don't have any animus against him. No, I enjoy yeah. talking to him. I was yeah, like, I, like I was like nervous him. and I like, liked it stunned. when he called me young lady. That was the highlight. Uh, yeah. In a nice way yeah. or in like a scolding way. It was like I would like say half scolding. playful. Yeah, it was playfully scolding. Yeah, it was not a Joshua Cohen level of scolding. That being the the high end of the scolding scale. Was, yeah, yeah, it was which was yeah. which, in my opinion, was like my main takeaway was like I was like that was lame and uncool. Yeah, of him. 
many many um, people have said the same thing. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I, but think Jeff Dyer, I really don't know much about Jeff Dyer. Like, I, the only yeah. thing I've re- I've actually never really read any of his work except for the he wrote um, an introduction to uh, Jean Baudrillard's America. Oh, book. weird. So, he would. Of I course he anyway, did. So. He's even there. He cannot. He loves the commentary. He even got the Vogue. You can always fuck? find my man either on the back of a book or the front <laughs> of a book. He's inserting his commentary. <laughs> his final uh, assault on us will be if he somehow writes a blurb on Ken Osgard or like does an intro. <laughs> 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 yeah. We should really get him to write an intro for our show. Just you know, like, I bet he's imagine? gonna show up in that documentary about Hitler that Martin Anus is in, that Knausgaard declined to be in. I bet he's gonna show up in that <laughs> he's documentary. Gonna, he's got a blurb on Hitler. Yeah, he blurbed Hitler. I'm sure he has a blurb for Hitler. Oh wait, no, he actually showed up in that New York. Maybe it was a New York Magazine article. It was like some some uh, gimmicky article about like 20 books that you shouldn't read or like. Right. Well, I have a theory yeah. about that though. Yeah. What's your theory? Well, he's, he he said that instead of reading The Ambassadors by Hank J- Hank Jim or Henry James, <laughs> you should read. <laughs> okay, that was funny. Cool. Yeah, I liked that. I, I just never like, read that. Like, I had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> Hank Jimmy. Uh, instead of reading that, you should read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. And yeah. then I realized, and people were speculating as to like what what was the relationship between these two texts, yeah. and I realized that like. Actually, this involves our show to some extent as well. Like, towards in the end of his career, I think due to tendonitis, Henry James dictated his books to an amanuensis. He didn't write uh, with his hand; he oh. spoke them out, which you can sort of see in the weird like syntax. Anyway, oh, interesting. Huh. And Hitler, because he was in prison, I guess, dictated Mein Kampf. Oh. To who? Yeah, I, I, that's a good question, and that that's a crucial question. I don't know. I don't know he whom he dictated to. I gotta research that. You don't get a pencil in jail. I don't know. They didn't give. They didn't give. They didn't give <laughs> yeah. Hitler a pencil. Huh. So that's maybe true. that's what was going through Dyer's oh, brain. Oh, that would be really. That would be really cool if it was. Yeah, uh, that's I like my that. own. That's my own idea. Well, you'll know. have to. You'll have to have him back so you can ask him that. <laughs> I'm sure he'd be into it. We were vibing uh, yeah. out. We were we were talking, we were chatting about like Bob Dylan as Lauren's computer was on the fritz. It was cool, yeah. but you know, was... yeah. Maybe let's give it some time and then maybe we'll have a this reconciliation arc. Yeah. 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 Super charming, super charming guy. No doubt about that. Um, well, do you guys have anything else? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've only talked for two hours and fifteen minutes. I, well, we did do a pretty good job. We should do we, another think, few hours. I, I think, think we, we actually, actually did, did more yeah. close reading today yeah. than than we, we have, have recently. Like yeah, we were yeah. quoting, we were talking about editing, genre yeah. theory. We talked about some of the the mythos. We talked about um, some of the characters. So it actually was pretty yeah. uh, exegetical, almost yeah. in our version of the word. Cool. Um, yeah, well, I was, I, I had fun. Um, yeah, thanks. Hear the cavemen singing, good news they're bringing.